Warning, the following Potterfic Weekly podcast contains a discussion about a boat, and it's not just any boat. It's a Melinda Leah boat. And as anyone who has listened to Pufa knows, a discussion about a boat can get way out of hand. Wear your life jackets for this one, folks. We're in for a bumpy ride. Holy crap! This is so exciting! Previously on Potterfic Weekly. And welcome back to Potterfic Weekly. This is Ryan. I enjoy long walks on the beach! I'm Jen. My name is Jen. I didn't want to tell you, but I wrote a smut about you. <laughs> I'm like feeling very <sighs> distressed. Lady Chi here. <laughs> I'm not made of stone. I have cats that I am throwing away. Anna is in the house. I'm a hat rack. And I'm Keza. Hello. We all use the shower to wash ourselves. <laughs> I'm P.S. I don't know where I thought the food came from, but I never thought that there were still farms. Mike. Mike, you never say I'm Mike. You're going to invest investing in Canadian or Russian shipping. All of the ice is going to melt in northern Canada, and it's going to open up new shipping lanes. If northern Canada melts, would that not flood the world and kill us all? These are really stupid people. Like, I have a lot to learn from these people. Boys and girls, there's a thing called erectile dysfunction. Oh my god. Yeah, but there's also a thing called Petrificus Totalis. So Perfect I- Weekly, not only entertaining, but educational as well. <laughs> Who wants to see Hermione as a trial lawyer? As a tribal warrior? <laughs> I've been here the whole time, but I can't remember what was just said. <laughs> oh, Vicodin. I Hello. love the fact that she's Australian. The art. This is a momentous moment, and you're mocking my accent. My mother-in-law is evil. She got a cat. I'm very, very allergic to cats. And my mother-in-law <laughs> is evil, and she knows. Was this and she got a damn cat. How many virgins can successfully ravage anybody? He's Harry Potter. Come on. He's a skinny, awkward kid who we think has ED. No, 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 we don't think that. You think that. Poor Bernard was struck and killed by a bolt of lightning. Okay, you guys are the ones who obviously laugh during people's funerals. I wore a really big hat. I ship Harry Ginny. I write Harry Ginny. I read Harry Ginny. Sniping Harry, not really my thing. Putting aside the question of sexual orientation. On Saturday, September 13th at 11.21 p.m., I fell so madly in love you won't even believe it with Harry Ginny. I think I just peed my pants. Please say that again. I felt something click inside of me. Me, and the second half of my life began. She really does love them. This is like the Manhattan Project. Sorry, I'm so sorry. Oh, come here, I'm so sorry. Come here. <laughs> I, just, I just kicked my dog in the head. I peeled my whole fingernail off once when I was a child. First time I ever learned what an erection was. Seriously, I remember this very distinctly. Harry is both a spy and a department head. George shot Justin a significant glance. From a memory charm and everyone in the room. Shalom. You have reached Puffo's resident Jew. She has like a whole sound system. I don't have a sound system. Hold on. <laughs> she sounds a little aggravated. Are you a little cranky? What a god, fine. If you ever, ever, ever make me cover a story with butt sex babies, I will kill you. Neither can live while the other survives. What does that mean? How does that mean what is to kill the other? And Jen's like, yeah, I like looking at female butts more too. So what? Women are beautiful. Doesn't make me gay. You thought I Jen got pregnant on a boat? I've realized in this podcast that Ryan just lies to me nonstop. And now, Potterfic Weekly. They're like... I live in Hicktown. In Hicktown, <laughs> the size of your penis is directly related to the amount of noise that your engine can make. <laughs> 
Ryan. I just knew I had to say the word penis and Ryan would return. <laughs> Way out west where they give away land for free and like beg you to farm. Is it's this very... 1878? They give away land for free in western Kansas. I didn't know there were still farms. <laughs> I don't know where I thought the food came from, but I never thought that there were still farms. Do you think there were still farms? That's why I hate cows, and they are not the docile, placid creatures that you would think that they are. I've never seen a cow. I like are cows. You... I like are cows. You... I didn't know there were still farms. I was on the phone to the gas guy, like, trying to get an extension because I've got wickedly high bills. And I asked for the extension, and he goes, oh, hmm, 21 days overdue. Hmm, that's very overdue. Is there any reason you didn't call before? I'm sitting there, I feel like I'm a naughty schoolgirl. And I'm going, um, welcome back to be our car stop, Keza. Because I forgot. <laughs> just like, no one has ever asked me that when I've rung up for the extension before. And Ryan's calling me and I can hear it going, bloop, 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 bloop. And I'm just like, ah. I rejected the call the first time. I'm like, I'm on, I'm on hold to the gas guy. I'll be a minute. And then I thought about it. I'm like, I could be forever. I'm on hold. Brilliant. I know some Australian news. I saw this. It was on the bottom of the screen the other day. They found a box of snakes or something. Did you hear about that? So apparently it said customs in Australia discovers box of snakes. So I assume that somebody was trying to bring a box of snakes into Australia and that wasn't good. No, I didn't look it up. Box of snakes, you say. Passengers of a plane bound for Sydney last week have not suffered the same grim fate as those snakes on a plane. But those responsible for smuggling two green tree pythons, two royal pythons, a reticulated python and 2,000 American tarantulas into the country could soon be dealing with some nasty business of their own. Customs in Sydney executed search and seizure from smuggling illegal creatures in a package from the United States. Oh, say can you see by the dawn's early People are trying to send us your bad snakes. For Tuesday, November 11th, 2008, this is episode 62 of Potterfic Weekly. Welcome to the place where the story never ends. Oh, will there ever be again? A podcast quite like this One that brought us together and Started its own forum list Where the hosts are all our friends All the stories told by Jen Will it drive Ryan round the bend? Artific Weekly, where the story never ends. Mm-hmm. Welcome back to Artific Weekly, everybody. I'm Lady Chi. I'm P.S. Mike. And I'm Keza. Mike. Seriously, you have to learn to say I'm before your name. I always see this picture of like Mike like raising his hand. That's like, what I'm doing as I say it. Are you serious? I think we had this discussion last week. Yeah, wow. We did. I need we more did. We definitely did. And it's okay. also on 59, which I'm currently editing. <laughs> Brian Yay. makes the comments like, Mike, present. <laughs> We've given him classes and it still hasn't worked. <laughs> <laughs> 
we like to repeat themes here on Potterfic Weekly and talk about the same thing over and over and over again. Um, if you're a new listener to Potterfic Weekly and you happen to be a big fan of Melinda Leo and for some reason you decided to start our Power of Emotion Curse of the Dam podcast with Curse of the Dam, there are a few things that you need to understand about Potterfic Weekly. One, we are going to do our best to stay on topic, but it's not going to happen. Two, we really enjoy the fic, but sometimes our inner snark comes out, and there's nothing I can do about that either. And three, I ramble a lot. I'm not as bad as Ryan. Oh, damn you all! But um, I have discovered Doctor Who, so uh, whereas he might talk about Star Trek, I do tend to go off on these David Tennant-related tangents, and I apologize now. It probably won't happen because Barty Crouch Jr. is not in this fic, but you never know what I can relate back to Doctor Who. Let's start talking about um, Harry Potter and the Curse of the Damned. Who wants to start? There was a vote in this. There was a boat in this. Go back and listen to uh, the seventh horror crux if you are a new listener. Yeah, I don't understand. <laughs> there is an episode with me and Jen and copious amounts of Kool-Aid. It really shouldn't matter to you whether I'm drinking Kool-Aid. Or not, just for all you know, I could be a 36-year-old married woman from Australia with three children. So I'm only 34! <laughs> and I don't drink Kool-Aid. I think I accused Jen, too, of being older than she was today, too. I'm a horrible friend. <laughs> I'm sitting here as the a- child who's just made a cardboard computer so that we can sit on the computer together. Aww. <laughs> Aww. Aww. cute. <laughs> It's got a um, cat food box keyboard, a rice bubbles packet monitor, a Wiggles biscuits hard drive, and <laughs> a tiny Teddy's honey bears mouse. Oh, that is awesome. Oh, and he <laughs> wants me to tell you that his mouse pad is a piece of white A4 paper. To, Michael, to that is too cute. I think I guess everyone besides me in this podcast is a writer themselves. Sort of like a, a general talk about her writing style. Can we do that? Compared to some other ones we've read, one of the strengths of this is that even though it's clearly Harry, Harry, Ginny, it's not a narrow point of view. I don't know if that makes sense, but it's almost like all the characters are flushed out. Even though he's the main character, there's still a cohesive story for Ron. I'm not sure that's as much like a stylistic point as it is like it just shows how good a writer Melinda Leo is. She can tell you a lot about a character with very few words. That's not to say that she's the most concise of the authors that we've read, or to say that her writing style is more sparse than usual. I think I'm probably the most concise slash sparse writer that we've covered um, on the podcast, but it does mean that particularly her dialogue is very revealing. She always chooses words in her dialogue to me um, that kind of make me like extremely jealous when I read her dialogue. I want to be that good too. But I think one of her great strengths is her dialogue. She does tend to do a very balanced ratio of description to dialogue, leaning more towards the description side than dialogue. I would say she has a very effective style for this fandom and this style of story. And well well balanced too, because I even think she does action well, which is really hard to do well. It's really rare that a fanfic will really do the suspense in such a way that it makes me... I mean, I don't want to say I don't care about the story in a story that is a less suspenseful story, but I mean, I'm trying to phrase it in a, a way that makes it sound... But it's like, it's so for fix to be written so strongly that it becomes a page-turner. Like, it'll still be a good fic, but it's not really a page-turner in the sense that if I had to stop, I would really be like, oh my god, what happens next? You know what I mean? 
Like, yeah. if, I, if I stop in the middle of reading a story, I rarely think, like, all day, oh, I wonder what happens next. I might think, oh, I want to get back to the story because it's good, but it's rarely in a way that's like, I have to find out what happens next. But I think with Melinda's fix, she does that well. I think she does the romance aspect well, too, because I know a lot of stories I read, in particular for these podcasts, I'll be, like, rolling my eyes in, like, real life as I read, like, oh, God, I can't believe he actually, she had him say that. That's so, and I, I didn't get that. At all, I've t- I told PTS this before. That happens all the time to me in fix, but this didn't happen to me at all when I was reading Melendez. Well acquainted with the limitations of the sixteen slash seventeen year old boy. Exactly, I think that's, that, that's a good way to put it. Yeah, I think that comes across very true because sometimes you'll be reading Harry Potter stories, and even like in Harry Potter books themselves, you'll be going, "Are these children seventeen or twenty or twenty one? Because it doesn't like sometimes they don't read like teenagers to me, and that's not to insult the teenagers that I know that are going to come after me with pitchforks. I'm just saying, or twelve, a year like none other, or yeah, or twelve with a year like none. They weren't twelve in a year like none other. No, I mean they come across as. Oh, they come across twelve years old. I think that nailing the style and the voice, not the style, because I'm using the wrong terms, and I'm gonna get English majors mad at me, but. Finding the voice of a 16 to 17 year old boy is extremely hard, and I think Melinda Leo hits it on the nail about 98% of the time. <laughs> Why is there a fire truck? Where? Outside. Fire! <laughs> hey, P.S. Stop me before I can ask you, Chi, what are the other 2% of the times? <laughs> I guess if there was a fire, the alarm would go off. I guess if the fire truck came, if there was really a fire, they'd have hoses and stuff. Well, I've been talking on mute. <laughs> I okay. put myself on mute because my son was making a noise and then I was just talking. <laughs> my son, he's fixated on going to the beach. What? We're not going anywhere today. Go away. I was saying, you know how you were saying about the rounded characters? I'm going to do the, the peon cast thing. Let's talk about the fic. Fleshing out the characters particularly, I like how she's fleshed out Bill. I know this is kind of random, but I can remember Bill really annoyed me in the seventh Horcrux because he was rather mean to Harry. I know that it's nothing to do with anything, but I was thinking about it the whole time I was reading this because I was thinking, well, Bill's not mean. Yeah, well, I really liked Bill in this because he really... He does this big brother thing for Harry that Harry hasn't ever really had before. You know when you've got a character in canon who is not hugely developed, but you can sort of work out how they're going to act. Like the Weezy's yeah. like that. Charlie yeah. and Bill yeah. I know how in that's particular. Like. <laughs> you know how they're going to act because you know how the Weasleys act. So although you don't really... I mean, we see more of Bill in Deathly Hallows, and I think that Belinda sort of got Bill quite spot on from what we know of Bill since. Gosh, it's hard to believe that she wrote this after Order. Although I was just going to say, I don't know about the wisdom of his little pranks on the Dursleys. But in fairness... Oh, yeah, no. I, I think because Harry doesn't talk about it... I don't think we can really have expected Bill to have understood what would have happened. Like, Harry would have known almost instinctively, but, you know, for Bill, who's grown up, he wouldn't have understood the seriousness of it. I've got frustrated with him because I'm like, why are you doing this? And then I have to remember that Bill doesn't actually know what we know about Harry's home life. So although it annoyed me, I think Like, he's more sensible than that. That seems to me like something somebody younger, maybe not necessarily younger, the twins would have done, even Hermione and Ron not understanding because... 
for yeah. Ron and Hermione, it's like they've grown up in just a completely different kind of household, and they just don't understand to the degree at which the Dursleys don't like Harry. Well, I think yeah. they do understand. They have. See, I, I couldn't actually imagine Ron or Hermione doing it, actually. Yeah, I, I agree with you, Keswick. I think they do have a I, sense. I can imagine the twins doing it, um, and possibly Charlie. And I could see why Bill did it, but you're right. He should be more sensible than that because he's a grown-up, you know? Mm-hmm. But I really liked how Bill took care of him mostly. And here's a question that I've wondered a lot when Ginny and Ron come and they flew to Mrs. Figs. Do you think, um, and am I missing something in canon here, that um, squibs have and can use the flu system? Yeah, Squid, I think they can. Yeah, I think squib can't perform magic. Because a lot of people give her a flu. Like you can have zero magic and be a muggle or have some magic but not enough to be a socially functioning wizard or witch. Some squibs might be able to make a potion. I think squibs can see Hogwarts, because I think Filch can well, obviously see Hogwarts. Thinking back, as I, I'm rethinking it, I changed my mind as, as you were talking, actually, P.S. If she could use the flu, why didn't she have a flu to warn Dumbledore right? in book five? Which I guess maybe because they don't, you know, the ministry could listen in or something like that. Yeah. But still. But I guess my other problem with the idea that squibs can do things like that is that almost seems to validate blood purity things. Because why is it or at least if it's something a squib could do that a muggle can't, then that would seem to imply that if you're born without magic from magic parents, the bloodline still matter. That's what it implies to me. So either I think it either has to be something where it's just anyone can, whether they're squib, squibs, muggles, or magic people, or that it's magic and non-magic. I think it goes against a lot of the philosophy uh, can that... I, maybe anyone can use the flu. In Battle of Wills, the Dursleys evacuate number four through the flu. I mean, I know it's just a fit, but I, it, I remember it didn't strike me as being wrong. I, I don't understand, though, Mike, why you're saying that levels of squibness, if we want to call it that, that's a new term, good term, What are you, that you're saying they validate the blood purity theory? Well, because if you're going to tell me that there's a difference between someone who's born without magic, but whose parents happen to be magical. In other words, like, like, like if Draco Malfoy has a squib, is that you're telling me that squib's abilities different from the random muggle? That seems to imply that there is something in actual bloodlines that affects magic. I, I don't think that that's really. I don't think that's a logical leap. I don't think that's a It's not a logical leap because when Hagrid comes to get Harry back in the first book, he says, you're a wizard, Harry, and a thumping good one, I'd wager. There is evidence in the canon that shows that some wizards are more powerful and more effective than others. And I think it's the same with anything that we have, and not everything comes through genetics. Some people are better runners than others. Some people are better at cooking than others, and you're back to the nature-nurture debate. That, that's my um, point, though, is, is that it can't, you can't tell me that just because your parents happen to be magical and you're not, that you're able to do something that a muggle whose parents aren't magical couldn't also do. I'm not saying a See, I'm not happen. really following what you mean. I'm not following what you mean. I'm, say, I'm saying there has to be as much a chance of a squib being able to do something as there is of a muggle being able to do something. If, there's, no, if you're telling me no so. muggles can do it, but no, squibs can do it. No, I don't do think it, that that's true. That's got nothing to do with blood purity, though. What is a squib? A squib is someone who has magical bloodlines but not actual magic. That's how I interpret a squib. Maybe that's why it's yeah. very different. They're born from magical parents. They're not necessarily born from pure blood parents, just parents who are magical. So they could be half blood or muggle born or pure blood, right? And then most of the time, if you then have children, they'll be magical, yes? We yes. assume. Yeah, the default, if you she want to call She said default, that magic is, is, a, magic. is, is a resiliently dominant gene. Resilient dominant? Yeah, it's a sense. dominant gene. So you have a squib, and that is an unusual occurrence, yes? Yes, I think so. So how is that feeding? I I, I still don't understand how it's related 
to the pure blood thing because it's got not having a squib has got nothing to do with whether or not you're pure blood. What I'm getting at is that if you define pure blood as having two generations of magical parents, you know, grandparents are all magical, most squibs are going to be either pure blood or half blood. I mean, a squib is going to be at least half blood. How do you say that? How do we have no data on that? No data whatsoever. Because a squib is not a muggle. A squib is someone born from magical parents. So at the very least, their parents are magical. Yeah, so? Let's say, for argument's sake, that Seamus was not magical. Would they call him a squib or a muggle? Because his dad's a muggle. That's what I'm getting at. Like, if Hermione has a kid. Like, let's say Hermione has a kid who has magic. Half-blood. Half half-blood just like Harry. It's half-blood. Half-blood right. like Harry. Hugo and That's Rose right. are half-blood, and if Hugo and Rose had not had magic, they would be squibs. Right. So and Harry's being, children are pure blood because his parents were both magical. So my point being, no squib can be anything less than a half-blood genetically because at least right, one obvious. of his... It's right. And so I'm saying that if you're telling me because one of their parents at least was magical, but they're not, a squib is something special about them that can use magic, that implies that the bloodlines or the genetics, whatever you want to call it, matter. I see where you're getting it. Okay, take Lily and Petunia Evans. Lily is hmm. a muggle-born witch. Petunia is a muggle. She is not a squib. However, had Lily had Harry and then he had a sister and the sister was not magical, Harry's sister would be a squib. Did we answer my question about Seamus? Would A.U. Seamus be a muggle or a squib? His, his mother was a witch. He'd, He'd be, be a squib, squib yeah. I reckon. I don't think that she actually went in that much into detail into it, who's a squib and who's a muggle. And I think it's part of the reason doesn't there you can run into some problems because it's kind of very vague. Like, why can Flitch, whatever, if, why can he, he's, he's in the castle. So is it that once you're in the castle, it doesn't look like ruins? Is it that, you know, squibs can see the castle or, you know, he just passed well, magical? Well, Mrs. Fink can see Dementors, can't she? Mrs. Fink can't see the Dementors because she told Harry to watch out for them while she dragged him along because she couldn't see them. That's right. And didn't oh, JK okay. in the interview, she just felt them. She didn't know. That's why the description was. Because oh, I'm getting confused because in the trial, in Order of the Phoenix, Mrs. Fink says, of course I can see them. But she's lying. I think JK said in an interview. She, she must have been lying. Was she lying because she couldn't see them or was she lying because they were gone when she got there? I don't know if it's true, but, but I've heard that JK said she that she couldn't see them, but she did feel them because they were there. But, that's, and, and, but she lied about seeing them for Harry's she trial. She would have had to lie about seeing them because the question she was put because Harry was on trial because he used muggle magic in mm-hmm. the presence of a and he was saying it was self-defense and they're saying defense against what? Harry says dementors and they said don't be ridiculous, there was no dementors. So Mrs. Fig came in and said I saw them in order to back Harry up. And mm-hmm. I always got from that that she actually could see them. It didn't occur to me you know, I'm I didn't torn between whether she can't see them, because I always thought she was lying. I don't know whether it's because she couldn't see them or because she got there after they were gone. I always thought that she could see them. Because I think she had to have been, because she describes what they feel like so accurately. I guess my impression was that they were still there when she got there, and then you see the difference between I'm looking between it up. I'm looking it up. <laughs> Google an interview, too, because I'm pretty sure J.K. said something I'm about it. The original thing was, Let me read. do you really think that squibs have flu connections? Because this is a thing in fanfic that I often wonder about. Mrs. Fig often has a flu. They, or they put a flu yes. into Hermione's house. Hang on. I need to cut in. I need to cut in. Here, the lexicon says... Squibs have such a low level of magical power that he or she is essentially unable to do any magic at all. And I just remembered um, Filch can see Peeves. 
Yeah. Can muggles not see him? No, muggles wouldn't be able to see him. They wouldn't be able to see ghosts either. Squibs can do some things, apparently. But see, the interesting thing is, the way that it seems to be written to work, I can't remember who Harry's talking to, but I know, no, it's Stan Shunpike, or with the bus. Can't the muggles see this bus, you know, going on the footpath and, you know, all the poles jump out of the way? And, and whatever happens there, and Stan Shunpike says to him, muggles don't see nothing, do they? And I think it's not because they're magical that they can see these things, but because they know of the world and they've got, you know, like muggles can't see see it because they don't believe in magic they don't believe it could happen and the reason that a confundus charm works is because muggles don't expect a pole to be out of the way so it's part magical ability and part because a muggle knows that once a pole is in the ground it's in the ground and that's their belief and because Mm -hmm. they have that belief that's what they see they don't see it moving because to their mind it can't move so i think it could be magical ability because you have you're a witch or a wizard or it could be simply because you know a different set of beliefs because even if you're a squib you've grown up in the magic world as a child and you know that the pole can move so Mm -hmm. you can see it when it happens whereas a muggle can't see it because that's not their reality i like that explanation and then i guess and then by that logic too i guess if seamus let's say he was he he was born a squib and he grew up with muggles he wouldn't be able to see it or use the stuff because it wouldn't be in his awareness depends on what his mother did depends on how his mother raised him like his mother raised him to know magical things then he might be able to do stuff i think she didn't did she or or who is it who is it that has a magical i think it's dean right who's really has a magical parent, but he doesn't right, know it. Right, that's Dean. Oh, yeah, that's what I meant, if- Dean. So if Dean had been born without magic, but grown up in the muggle world, even though he's technically a squib, he would have been no different from a muggle in terms of ability, right? Hey, Ryan here, just doing some editing. The example Mike just gave is exactly what happened to Harry. He is a half-blood who is raised in the muggle world with no knowledge of magic. So the question Mike is really asking is if the night bus went flying down Privet Drive doing 88 miles an hour, could Harry have seen it? Another point to keep in mind with the discussion of what constitutes a pure-blood versus a half-blood is that what these guys are saying, which I think is actually true, is that it all is determined by the grandparents. Think about this one. Hermione Granger has two muggle parents. Colin Creevy has two muggle parents. If the two of them look at each other one day and, you know, turn around, all of a sudden they could have half-blood love children. Love the show. Do a great job. I would imagine this AU Dean that you describe, that Mm -hmm. he would live his life as a muggle, obviously never knowing of magic, because he'd never get a Hogwarts letter, but he would probably always see odd things out of the corner of his eyes. Like, I have this idea of this AU Dean going through life and being like, well, you know, like, I bet AU Dean believes in ghosts or believes in UFOs or something. (laughs) Take Harry, for example. Brilliant! He's a perfect case example here. Harry is a magical being who, growing up in the muggle world, not knowing anything about magic, and he does see strange things out of the corner of his eye. And if he had been exposed to, say, the burrow, which I believe is made to look like a rundown, oh, that's a fan fiction thing maybe. You know, like muggles wouldn't see it being held up by magic and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But if if child well, Harry in the muggle world had been exposed to it, I think he would have seen it. So I think that, yeah, if A.U. Dean the squib, he would sort of see these sorts of things out the corner of his eye because that happens to Harry as a child. Mm-hmm. You know, he sees people appear and then they vanish. You know, and all stuff like that. So I think that we can safely surmise that that's probably. I almost now I want to like write a story about A.U. Dean. <laughs> <laughs> so. 
reason we are talking this, like the discussion about swibs and stuff, is because a lot of people give Mrs. Figure flu and a lot of people give Hermione flu. And I'm just not so sure whether or not squibs would actually have a flu. For some reason, I believed that it was set up for these emergencies purpose. Why in book five does she not use it? She has to wait for uh, Mundungus to come back in order to get word to Dumbledore. She doesn't go to a floor, get Harry to safety through a floor or anything like that. Maybe she was afraid to move in. Maybe she was afraid the Ministry was listening in. Yeah, I guess, yeah. I mean, I guess the Ministry's clearly, because we be serious later on, but yeah. Because I have seen Mrs. Fig have a flu in so many stories. Yeah. <laughs> that if it were really that wrong, that's, then I think we would hear a lot more people talking about how wrong it was, and I've never really thought of it before. And it's in so many stories that I think it's probably okay. That's the thing. It's just that it bothers me. Even though it's in so many stories, I'm just like, I don't think she has a flu. And I don't even know if I've got any rational basis for that. I'm just like, I don't <laughs> think she has a flu. <laughs> so I agree I with you. So. There are a lot of things where I will irrationally be like, I don't think such and such is so. Yeah. Like, for example, think- like even before Half-Blood Prince, I didn't think Snape was one of, from one of these rich, pure-blood families. And that was in so many stories. And I'd be like, I don't think that's yeah. true. I don't think that's true. But it's still in so many stories. Yeah. And I think sometimes it's because it's in so many stories that I then rebel against it because I'm like, just because you all think that, you know, <laughs> I don't think it's true. <laughs> and and the flu of, at like, Mrs. Fig's house is one of them. I don't buy it. I just don't buy it because if it suddenly appears and suddenly Harry can have visitors and, and Ginny and Ron are coming through the flu and all this sort of stuff and I'm just like, well, wouldn't they have done that before? But, you know, why? if there was a flu at Mrs. Fig's house, why yeah. would the Weezies have arrived in Goblet of Fire to pick up Harry through his house? Yeah. Why wouldn't they have flown Mrs. Figs and walked around? Yeah. Am I the only one noticing how excited Mike's getting? That's a good question. Mrs. Fig was still on the down low then. Mrs. Fig was always like the agent in waiting until something happened. She was keeping an eye on Harry, but she wasn't actively letting him know that she was a... Yeah, uh, maybe. But still... But, but what about year six? Why don't they use it then? Or like year why five? Why would they need to use it in... Remember they go back to school after Christmas on the night bus in, in oh. order to fix that old place anyway. But they flew somewhere in Half-Blood Prince. They flew back into McGonagall's office at one point. But I think they were at the borough then. So it's all irrelevant anyway. It's just something Keza doesn't like with no real basis or justification, a very tenuous link to Goblet of Fire. So <laughs> that, that was my thing about um, we can move on from Squibs now. Dobby. She has no love for Dobby. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm going to expose it now. She said it on some other episode of Potterfic Weekly. Um, and so I was actually surprised when I was rereading these early chapters that she had included Dobby in this fic. Because when Dobby died, she actually was like, oh, that's sad. And she had, oh, I'm the same. I can totally understand where she's coming from. You know, Hedwig died, mum blubbering. Thing. I don't really like Dobby all that actively. If I were writing a story that had Dobby in it, I would probably have not included him <laughs> just because I think he's irritating to work with or like he's irritating to see appear, but I cried like a baby when he died. I just but, didn't. I was like, huh, Dobby's dead. There were four emotion. points I was crying so much I couldn't see. My internet exploded. I'm done talking about how much the wiring sucks in this place and how much the plumbing sucks. We're talking about happy stuff. We oh, weren't, geez. actually. We were talking about Dobby dying. <laughs> <laughs> I don't really know how happy that is. While I was waiting for Ryan to get back, I was reading a story in which the doctor and Rose go to Arizona and the doctor wears a cowboy hat. That so, sounds uh, cute. It, it's very cute. It's called A Bit Western-ish. 
Okay, we should really get you a Curse of the Damned. I don't know if you guys have been talking about it. Yeah, yeah. we had a very in-depth and enlightening discussion about squibs and the flu at Mrs. Fig's house. Oh, very <laughs> which is, exciting. Which is good because we're kind of proceeding like chronologically through the story, so I think we should, t- we should talk about that. Oh, and we talked about Bill as well. We did talk yeah. about Bill. The Dobby's in this. And we were moving on to Dobby. Thank yes, you. it's terribly sad that he dies. So but Melinda doesn't feel I think the only one Dobby's death part where he goes to Godric's Hollow and he sees all the messages of support written on the sign is crying so hard. Really? I like, thought that was like cheesetastic of the nth degree. <laughs> oh my god. That was like, <laughs> I was weeping upon the floor and then my dad came home with a pizza and he was like, who died? <laughs> he, like, he thought I had like gotten and to the, like, the, the last Dobby. part and like people were dying and I was like, the sign, the sign. <laughs> I can't even think about it because like, the, that's the kind of thing that just because he just can't be with those people, but they they still are supporting him, and that's just no. I put Why? the book down when Hagrid got carried away by the Acromantulas, and I thought he was dead. I put the book really. Down. I had I had there were a lot of times in the like the final battle scene where I had to just because like what I was doing was I was trying to make sure that people I liked didn't die. So I was like, (laughs) I wasn't reading it very closely the first couple of times. And then stuff started happening. So I would have to put the book down and like be like, breathe, P.S., breathe. And then I would be like, read it again. Like the first times I read different things, like I completely read the the scene where Greyback attacks Lavender wrong. Like, I read the book, and then I got online, and I started seeing all these fics popping up that had Lavender alive, and I thought, how could she possibly have lived through that? Because what I thought had happened was that she and he had been dueling on a balcony, and he leapt on her and knocked her, and they fell, like, 40 feet. The only time I had to put it down was to try to figure out the Elder Wong thing, because that confused me a little bit. That's Still so weird. Me. People, I don't get why people are confused by that, because I got it the whole way. As I was reading it, I was, like, following along perfectly. I was surprised why people were confused. <laughs> she and he had been dueling on a balcony, and he leapt on her and knocked her, and they fell, like, 40 feet. But I will say that I am, I guess I'm more made out of stone than PS's, because I only had to stop reading twice. One was when Harry dug Dobby's grave, because I really could care less that Dobby died. I'm not going to lie to you. He was annoying. He was superfluous. Whatever. When Harry dug the grave, oh my god. Like, not just silent crying, but like, like I don't cry cute. Like, Billy Piper on Doctor Who, like, when she cries, it's beautiful, you know? Like, her mascara always, like, runs artfully and makes her look really pretty. And no, not me. I'm, like, snot coming out of my nose, crying, big, honking, like... With me, it it was different tears with me, too. Like, the messages of support, beautiful, silent tears, the death of Fred. Oh, that got me. His last laugh frozen on his face. I screamed and I just sobbed, sobbed, sobbed. It might be the most I've ever cried. I don't want to think about it too hard because I am a twin. That's, I read it and I didn't even think about it. I was like, okay, he's dead. I'm not thinking about it. And I just kept going. And then the second part that I cried at was when, um, for some reason, like the relationship between Harry and Lily, the non-existent relationship between Harry and Jenny because Lily, or Harry and Lily because Lily's dead. Somebody would go, "That's a Freudian slip, Harry Jenny Shipper," and it kind of is. The relationship between Harry and Lily has always been fascinating to me because, like, half of my stories are kind of about that. <laughs> Plug. So the scene where Harry is in the forest and his mother looks at him as if she could never look enough. Oh, oh, broke my heart into little see, this tiny. Is the, I am. See, this is so weird because I said I cried four times. It was Dobby's death. 
get the messages of support all this time, always. And the bravest man I ever knew. I did not cry during the Into the Forest. I don't know if it's because I was too traumatized to shed another tear, especially because I knew Harry was going to die, and I was so afraid that Harry was going to die and stay dead, and I was so afraid that everyone was going to die, and all these things running through my mind, I didn't cry. Did you cry, Keza, at all? Oh, no, Chi. Chi. Keza, did you cry? Did you cry? No, no. Can you hear me? Yeah, can you not hear me? Was I not being clear? No, what did? What was my answer? Did I cry? No. No, no, I didn't cry. I'm made of stone. While um the off-topic people have left, I would like to get back to big, <laughs> big brassy balls. What I wanted to say about Dobby, all I want to say was I was surprised Melinda Leo wrote him in, and that merges moves me on to the point about Uncle Vernon trying to strangle Harry in his sleep, like when Harry's having a nightmare. Do you remember that bit? He meets up with the Weasleys at Mrs. Figs later, and he wakes up, and like Uncle Vernon's been strangling him in the night, and Dobby rescues him and says, "You won't harm." Harry Potter. And I thought, well, that's cool. Like, sort of needed Dobby to do that. But I think she kind of used him the same way that Joe used him. And I don't know how to say that Latin thing for it, but, you know, where it's a convenient thing to make yeah, it happen. Yes, I think I think that Melinda was using him a bit as there, like because Dobby's convenient to sort of have there, you know? Like, oh, we must send Harry back to the Dursleys. We need to look after him. Oh, let's send Dobby. So I felt it was a little bit like that. That's how JK uses him. He sees the bruises on his neck and he thinks, and it was it made me just, my heart just went, oh, because he's like, oh, great, I have to find a way to hide that. I've read lots of fics. For some reason, I feel like at this time I'm reading for similar fics, so I'm having trouble remembering what fic is what. But I think this is the one where I was going, all mom about Harry. Um, <laughs> I've never felt like that before, really. Like, I've never really felt that bad for Harry, but it really, it broke my heart how he didn't want them to know how much the Weasleys hated him, how much the Dursleys hated him. <laughs> yeah, and it's from right from the thing, like, it takes Dudley to tell Bill, Ginny, and Ron that Harry's having to do all the ex- extra chores to fix up the yard, which, there, there is one thing I will say, and that I will snark up about this, Melinda uses a lot of American words, and it just really, it's not that it bothers me so much but I'm like yeah, get a brick picker <laughs> because in America that would be garden not yard and the other one is um, store she's a store instead of shop because that's what my brick, brick picker he told me off I said store once and, um, anyway but you know that's my piece of snark for the day and we'll move on <laughs> and so then he strangled and his first thought is he has to cover up these strangle marks so that the Weasleys won't know and I just feel like he will be open with Ginny and he'll say to Ginny she's like so are you really fine and he'll be like no but he still doesn't even tell her she's happy that he's being honest with her and so on and I'm like it really hurts that he can't be honest with them and tell them just how bad it is at the Dursleys Ryan again I thought that was very believable I think that one of the things that Melinda does very well especially at the Weasleys at Christmas back in POE is that she shows when Harry is confronted with the Dursleys in front of the Weasleys when the Weasleys are involved he becomes very ashamed and he tries to hide it because his two worlds are colliding Harry may be very open with Ginny and that may be a huge bit of progress for him but he is very ashamed about what happens when he closes the door to number four privet drive and i actually do believe he would not want to talk about that even to jenny he doesn't want them tainted by it he doesn't want them involved with it he doesn't want that world to follow him back he just wants to keep them totally separate he'll get through it he'll get past it they can't understand it even if i told them and everything will just be fine and that's i think very believable and that's a very much a hairy thing <laughs> 
And, you know, you were just saying that it made you go all mum on Harry. This is, you know, because Melinda Leo is supposed to be this person who loves and adores Harry like her own son, right? Potterfick Weekly has tried before to break this belief because it's just not true. You read these stories and she puts the poor kid through hell. You know, she's got his uncle strangling him. He has to do extra chores. Yesterday, Ryan Skyped me in distress because in the last story, um, he just got to the part where the Death Eaters cast reducto on Harry's knees and they lock him up for a week without food and water. The way she has Harry interact with the Weasleys in regards to his aunt and uncle is very realistic and I think that's sort of the reaction you'd really get from a child who's in abusive home. The reaction isn't to go confide, it's to hide. And, you know, even when you have children from abusive background, we have people who care about them and, like, the natural reaction is to hide what happened. Which, yeah, I know it's realistic for people who've been victims and all that sort of stuff, but it just makes me sad that he can't, doesn't feel like he can tell them what really is going on. It just makes me sad for him. He's been in such a bad life. <laughs> what are you doing, Chi? Like, you sound like you're going under your bed. You're like Harry going under the bed, lifting up the floorboards to stash your letters. <laughs> I remembered my eighth grade science that heat rises. And so I was sitting on the couch, which was nice for my bum, but like bad for my body temperature. <laughs> so I was, I was moving to the floor. You had to podcast from the floor? Oh, that's, that's commitment. I yeah. podcast from the floor every week because it's comfortable. Where do you podcast from? Oh, that's right. Collapsing tables. <laughs> Whoa, someone got excited. What just happened here? What just happened? Mike. Mike? It's got to be Mike. <laughs> Mike. <laughs> you know I had to replace the entire computer? Is that where my gift fit went? Did you kick it off the table? Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's where it went. I said I had to replace the hard drive, the motherboard, and Be the, more careful um, next time. The mouse pad. You had to replace the mouse pad? Really? I'm on and that table again, safe. too. Like. Wouldn't it be safer to podcast on the floor, Mike? I mean, you couldn't fall any further then, could you? <laughs> Oh, did you just hear him? <laughs> He's going, did they hear me? <laughs> he sounds like a little Harry, actually. You know, like from the first movie. <laughs> Who did we use this time? We lost Mark. <laughs> a young Harry from the first movie who's not being abused. Let's make that distinction. Nobody calls Australian <laughs> Child Services on Keza. That would be really funny. <laughs> Hello. Hi, Michael. Hi, How are you? Good. Do you have school today? No. No. You don't do you go to school? No. No. What did you do today? Did you watch TV? Yeah. What's your favorite TV show? ABC Kids. Bye. Bye, Michael. Bye, Michael. <laughs> Hi, Michael. I, I never left. <laughs> no, we were talking to my son. <laughs> His name is ah. also mine. So, um, Ron. I'm so sorry, but I read a bunch of fix this week, and they all pretty much had the same plot. Is this the one <laughs> where Ron is, like, angry and depressed? Yes, apparently so. Okay, good. Because he killed Malfoy at the end of the last installment. Not that we ever got to that last week, but the synopsis, Harry and Ron get kidnapped, Ron kills Malfoy, and now Ron is all just depressed and sad and stressed out and stuff. Go. As he should be. I, I think we did talk on that last week. That even the, even if it's someone you don't like, it's it's good that he's so distressed about it and that it would be more worrying or out of character or less, I don't know, just less good if he took it in stride and didn't get emotionally out of whack. Yeah. yeah. 
Because not only that, he was captured as well. When you think about it, poor Ron here is going through almost as much torture as Harry. He's not the one being abused by the Dursley. But if you think you're in Ron's position, you know what Harry goes through at the Dursleys. You've been in captivity with him. And I remember his reaction to seeing Harry at the end because Harry had been in with a Dementor. And Ron actually was a lot healthier at the end of that captivity than Harry. But Ron loves Harry. And knowing how much Harry was hurting and that Harry has to be at the Dursleys combined with the fact that he's dealing with his own own issues about being kidnapped and tortured and the fact that he killed someone. Ron is bound to be a very angry young man, especially because he's not with Harry and he can't protect him and he knows that Harry's with these people. I'm not surprised Ron is beside well, himself. I mean, well, yeah, it makes a whole lot of sense when you consider that most 15, 16-year-olds, I forget how old they are in this story and I really am sorry. No, yeah, they most said, no they're 17. They're 17. 17, yeah. 17. Most 17-year-olds uh, don't have to kill other 17-year-olds. Just throwing that out there. <laughs> like, if that doesn't affect you psychologically, there's probably something wrong with you as a person. Indeed. <laughs> Indeed. I'll third that. The Death Eaters come and attack Privet Drive and something's wrong with Harry and all the adults and he's going off to save Harry and Ron is <laughs> like... And, but think, well, he's 17 and I'm just wondering, is that really believable? Because he's old enough to go and save Harry now too. And I'm just thinking... Let him well, go. I, I didn't have a problem I understand not letting Ginny go. If I was Molly Weasley and I had 17-year-old Ron, Harry's best friend, I'd let him go. <laughs> you know. I think there's certainly a breakdown between canon Molly and fandom Molly. Canon Molly, I believe and I haven't read Deathly Hallows in a while, but I believe in Deathly Hallows, when Ron left Harry and Hermione on their own, she read him the riot act for abandoning his friends. Fandom Molly, I believe there is no reasonable explanation for why she hasn't shoved Ginny into a chastity belt. So, in this particular case, Ron's going nowhere. I don't know, I, I disagree with you. Most mothers I know who have 17, or I guess in America, 18-year-old kids would still still think of their children as being kids and would still try to shelter them from anything that they thought would be either mentally or physically dangerous. And that I think there's still very often a level of dependency. Like your parents still have an authority in your life and the adults around you still have an authority, even though technically you yourself are now an adult. Yeah, well, see, when I was 18, I moved out of home and, and I'd been doing my own thing for at least a year before I'd left home, before I was an illegal adult. So for me, that doesn't make any sense that Ron doesn't just go. My mum had told me to stay somewhere or do something as an 18-year-old. I would have been like, no. So Well, so would I, but I think a lot of people are still pretty dependent at 18. See, I have friends that were that way, but by the time we were like 17 or 18, we were very, very, very independent. Like, we would just go wherever we wanted to go and do whatever we wanted to do. And like, yeah, I would tell my parents where I was going as a courtesy, but not really ever to get permission. I need a mommy. I need a mommy. I need a mommy. Well, I think there's also this I... difference between independence and authority. Almost, I know Ron does a lot of things both in the thick and in the book on his own without his parents, out of his own initiative. And in a lot of ways, he acts like a competent adult. But there's still, I think, this authority that Molly has where if she lays down the law, and, she's, and you see this a lot, I think, with 18-year-olds and their parents, that if their parent goes like, no, you are not doing this, Bam, you know, it's still, it still it influences them. And they'll be upset and pissed off, but they'll obey. Actually, I deal with undergrads all the time, so I see it all the time with their parents. My folks now are giving me money, but my first year of, of school, they didn't give me money. So I was kind of like, well, you can try to tell me what to do, but it's not going to make any difference. And I wish I, mean, I could go back to that. And they give me, like, guidance, not like an order. But then again, 
it might just be my parents' parenting styles because they never really made me do anything. It was more or less they said I should be doing something, and I just would have realized they were right. Oh, really? This thumping is really bad. Stop typing. Sorry. I know we're boring you, and you have to go off and <laughs> chat. With no, your I'm trying. Buddies, to, I'm but... trying to stop. I'm trying to stop, but it's a really important conversation. Ah! I'm trying to stop. I'm not doing as much of it. I can't even think and type and talk at the same time. When I'm podcasting, regardless of whether or not I'm paying attention, I'm usually doing six other things. So, like, right now I'm podcasting. I have six Skype windows open and a Yahoo Messenger window open and two stories open that I'm reading. I'm surprised you can carry an actual, like, like intelligent, detailed conversation on while you're reading a fic. But I do think that that scene with the polyjuice potion... What's a polyjuice? What's a polyjuice? Oh, juice. Same difference, only not... I don't even remember what I was saying. Um, I think she guessed. She, what is the name of Harry? It's one of the Duggars, kid. Um, I don't know. Jim Bob Severus Potter? I don't (laughs) She, quick test. Who was the bad guy? Oh, don't test this is me. How, this is how I test to see if she did the reading, because then I'm like, she... Voldemort! Uh, Voldemort! Voldemort! Voldemort's the bad guy, in general. Who no. is the mole? I know, I know. I don't remember. I read this fic a month ago. <laughs> she, you're supposed to reread before the podcast. Oh, please. I'm going to read as we go. <laughs> I, spent, she, I spent my entire day today at work listening to this podcast. I get you know what? <laughs> What's that? What, what, what chapter are we even starting on? About Bill, we've talked about Dobby. I'm moving on to Jimmy now. <laughs> Move on to Jimmy. Crack that whip. You've got your standard thing. I, I am scooting ahead. I am currently on Chapter 6 because Harry did run away. No, he didn't run away. He got kicked out by Vernon Dursley. He's been beat up. The Death Eaters came and got him, bam, 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 Fred and George, and went off. Ron wasn't allowed to. This is the basic synopsis that we have. So Jenny is, I think it's another one of these things. I'm not so sure I agree with in fan fiction, but it happens a lot. Jenny is sick of her family and everyone treating her like a child and, <laughs> and acting as though she can't handle herself. And I'm like, oh, I guess it is true from Deathly Hallows because you see that in that final scene where she wants to leave the room of requirement and her mother says no. And But it always bothers me how in fan fiction, and I don't know why, but do you know what I mean? Like, Do you think it would be true that her family would treat her like see, a child? In Deathly Hallows, it was a, like a life or death situation. And, I mean, I don't think it would happen in daily life. Jenny acts either. like she is oppressed, like she is an oppressed child. I have no I'm the one who came in direct contact with Tom. Don't they think I can't handle anything? So I'm reading this first paragraph of Chapter 6 and I'm rolling my eyes just a little bit. <laughs> so I find it a very overdone stereotype of Ginny in actual fact. What's really interesting about this is that my father's family is the Weasleys. My dad grew up with seven brothers and sisters. Okay, they're not like exactly the Weasleys. He had three other brothers and four sisters. But like in a family that large, you don't ever really... Like my Aunt Anne is the youngest and she does sometimes catch a little crap. But like nobody is like really overprotective of her. I mean, you kind of have to be independent. Parents have done this seven times. There's another kid. Let's just do this again. I'm the youngest of six, right? By the mm-hmm. time my parents got to me, the last thing they were was overprotective or smothering. Because mum got to the point with me in high school where she was wrote a note in my diary basically saying, 
I don't want to sign this kid's diary every week. <laughs> I'm sick of doing all this cool stuff. And she was sick of it. And, and I had to beg her to sign permission notes. She's like, you don't need my permission. I'm 16. You know, I need your permission to do this. And she's like, oh, that's stupid. And she would sign it huffing and puffing because she's just like, she'd spent something like 30 years with schools in schooling system and dealing with this. So by the time I got to high school, she was just like, I don't want to see your diary every week. I don't want to sign the thing. Do I have to? You know what I mean? She didn't want to go to parent-teacher interviews. She sort of would look up my report and go, that's nice, and sign the form, you know, because she had to. You know, I failed PE one term, and she's like, oh, you failed. That's not surprising. Signs it. She didn't actually care. I'm not saying that the Weasleys don't care about their kids or that my mum didn't care about me, but by the time they got to number six, the last thing they were of me was overprotective. I've had the most freedom of all my brothers and sisters, I think. I, I was saying, I think what I always hear, and I don't know if this is based in canon or if this is just also a fanfic thing, but that Molly always wanted a daughter and that was always her and the reason they had so many kids was because she kept trying for a daughter i don't think it's ever stated in canon that that's the reason why they had so many kids i think they just had that's that drives me crazy i think they just had kids because- it drives me nuts when people in, in the fandom say they kept having them until they got a girl because seriously people don't have kids for that reason yeah i'm sorry they don't because if they did my sister would still be having kids because she has three boys and she never had a daughter but they stopped after three even though she probably would have liked one people don't keep going and having kids until they get what they you know one of the right gender and i know two families one has four girls then they had a son then they had another one and it was a girl again and a lot of people were saying to the father oh well you, you know when he had they had the boy they were like oh you must be so pleased you've got a son and he's like that's great but why why am I more pleased about having a son than I was about the other four kids? And then when they had their sixth one, who was another girl, they're like, oh, it's another girl. And he's like, so? Yeah. <laughs> you know, it actually yeah. doesn't matter. And then I know another family who had six girls and then they had a son. They made the announcement at church and they were sort of you know, joking around like, oh, you know, and he's now on cloud nine because he's got a son because, you know, after six girls. And, I mean, that's true. But yeah. they, they had that many kids because that's how many kids they have. And parents... They don't do that. It's pretty rare for a parent to keep having kids until they get one of each gender. I think it's just weird because uh, I'm Catholic, so, like, culturally, that just seems like a weird thing to me to, like, have kids until they're right. Because we just have large families because that's what you do when you can't practice contraception in your (laughs) (laughs) life. And I guess, in a way, I am also coming from an LDS perspective where you have kids because that's what you're told to do. Yeah, but I, exactly. I also had in, people who are not religious are, are the same thing. People they have two, they want two children. They have two boys. They don't keep going to get a girl. Or people who have you know five boys um, and they don't just keep going to get a girl, even though they were only planning to have three. You know, and oh, I need to get a girl, and they don't stop because they've suddenly got one of the other gender. You can have a pigeon pair and go back for number three. And a lot of people in society do go, "Oh, why are you bothering?" You know, you've already got one of each. But for people who are having children, it's not about having one of each. It's not about getting a balance. You know, when yeah. when mum was having me, they the, the well-meaning nurses were like, oh, what are you hoping to have? Because she had two sons and three daughters. And mum was like, a, a baby. <laughs> she didn't actually care because either way, it would be odd and even. If she had another boy, she'd have three girls and three boys, which was odd number of the girls and boys, but even, you know, half of each. If she had another girl, there would be four of one and two of the other. So that would be even numbers of each gender, but, you know, it was not half and half. I think it's just because so many um, fanfic authors, like Melinda Leo obviously is not a teenage girl. Brilliant! But I would think, like, the demographic of fanfic writers is pretty heavily stacked in that 
age group. Like, most fanfic writers are my age or three or four years younger. Like, (laughs) in between that age range, you know? So, I think... I, maybe it's just because that kind of what they think. Or at least I don't not know. parents. I like that explanation. Or at least too. not parents, yeah. Because I think once you're a parent, trying to find time for fan fiction probably gets a lot harder. Keza? <laughs> <laughs> well, like I stuck him in front of yeah. the TV. <laughs> <laughs> well, my children are older. Mine are older. I wouldn't have been able to do this when they were babies. Um, I have two in school. And I also, I spend a lot of time at uni, so... What I do is I'm, I'm a woman, I multitask, <laughs> and yeah. I'll, I'll do a bit of study. I'll have my story open at the same time. I usually have several windows going, and I'll take mini study breaks every 15 or so minutes because it keeps me on track with my study, and I'll write a paragraph of the story or I'll go looking on a forum or I'll read a chapter of a fanfic or something. So and it's because I spend so much time sitting at the computer is the only reason I have as much time for fanfic as I do. And I think as my kids get older, it's still I'll gradually have less and less time for it because they're starting to do things like playing sports. And we're about to get into the dance concert end of the year and sports presentation nights and Christmas parties and stuff. That sounds like fun. Yeah, it is fun, but it it does give less time. And, yeah, I think you're right. Most fanfic writers are, you know, 13-year-old girls. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I think oh, yeah. Like, you're saying like they're projecting themselves into Ginny, basically. And um, I think it's interesting that in Deathly Hallows, there is actually an element of that because, you know, Ron, one of Ron's biggest fears is it's not that his parents kept going until they got a girl, but that he's not loved as much because he's not, you know, he's got nothing special in regards to his brothers and he's not a girl either, you right. know. And I think a lot of people have also translated that as to Molly and Arthur love Ginny better, but that's just one of Ron's fears and insecurities. Ron's a very typical middle child. He, yeah. he does have a lot of, well, I mean, it makes sense because there's like that group of the twins and then Ron and Jenny. Like if you want to break yeah. I mean, the, the easy children Considering up. there's such a gap between Charlie and Percy, it's like for all intents and purposes, it's like for, for probably a large, I mean, I can't do the math right now, but probably for a large stretch, it was essentially a four-child family if you count the twins as one. So it was yeah. Percy being the oldest responsible one who could, probably change his own diapers and then you have um the <laughs> twins which have each other ron is the middle and jenny is the younger yeah yeah and the, yeah the twins are a very self-contained entity so i mean it's not that they're a factor but i can see why ron would have middle child tendencies right hey, like he can't just really play with the twins because they're playing with each other and but each other because she's a girl well, and his brother right. sets yeah. such high standards. I mean, at least one's a head boy, the other's the Quidditch captain. He's like the Bill Quidditch star. Yeah, Bill's the head boy. And they're all prefects, right? Except for Fred and, and George, what? though. Except for Fred and George. Right. But and when he goes to school, when he goes to school, every one of them has been a prefect so far. Right, because Fred and George haven't reached that point. Right. Yeah. And Fred and George are kind of the cool kids. Well, Fred and George were business people. They were, I mean, they were never in school to go to school. They were, edu- just... they were interested in that type of education. It's not that the twins weren't smart. It's just that they were... They motivated. wanted practical education. Like, I mean, yeah. they, they they wanted to learn, obviously, because you can't function in the world if you don't learn certain things. I mean, you can't function in the world with a fifth-grade education, which is what they had before they went to school. They needed to learn to do magic and get owls so they could work. I mean, it seems like in this world you can't really get a job as anything other than, like, a night bus driver if you don't have any owls. But yeah. I do think even if they weren't Quidditch captain and head boy... They're very popular, is the sense you get throughout the whole series. Okay. 
And they are I think the to, to Ron, it's just as good. Because to yeah. Ron, he's the only one that doesn't have anything interesting. Yeah, and that's what I mean. That's where it's coming from. It's not because Molly and Arthur actually think something or they are better than him or anything like that. This is a completely unrelated note, but I've been reading a couple of Fix Lady lately, and they keep referring to Percy as the middle Weasley child. And this irritates me because the middle Weasley child is Fred. And I would just like to state that for the record... On Potterfic Weekly, Percy is not the middle child of the Weasley family. <laughs> it is Fred. Thank you. Okay. Well, I guess technically, aren't they, isn't isn't everyone besides Bill and Ginny a, a middle child? Technically, no. Um, no, there's only one middle for seven. <laughs> I mean, a middle. I mean, they're between the beginning and the end. To you know, some like, degrees, like I bet Charlie has some degree of this middle yeah. child thing. I think they all have some degree. Yeah. I mean, obviously, Ron suffers from it most, even though Fred is really the middle. Yeah, well, I mean, I mean like, there's, no, technically there's also a couple middle. of middles in a family that large. Like my parents had four kids, then they had a ten-year break, then they had two more, and yet number two is the middle child, the one with middle child syndrome, because you have the oldest one who was bright and wonderful and engaging. Then you have the middle child, and then they had the, sec- the youngest one, and he was a boy, and then there was a couple of years break, and then they had a- another girl, and then so she was the baby, and my brother was the boy, and the oldest one was the oldest child, the engaging, delightful one. So number two actually ended up as the middle child in, in quotes, you know. Mm-hmm. She'll even admit yeah. that. She's-, <laughs> she's on the forums, and she'll admit that she's the middle child. Really? <laughs> oh, I love your sister so much. <laughs> Wait, who's your sister? Rosella. Really? That's your sister? That's my sister, yep. I didn't know that. It's so cool. And then, then because there's a 10-year gap between me and my other brother, you know, I've got the youngest child syndrome because I am the youngest of six. My brother is sort of just, he doesn't really have the old, he's got a little bit of oldest child syndrome because we, all the others had moved out by the time we were like 10. As teenagers, we were like the only two sort of in the home. It's kind of a cool family because I have lots of brothers and sisters, but I also have a small nuclear family that I experienced growing up because the others had moved out. It's quite cool. But anyway, that's enough about my family. Oh, I've, I've noticed that in families, for like known families where um, probably like yours, where it's like they had a bunch of kids, like they had like three or four kids and then they waited 10 years and they had another one, but she was for all intents and purposes an only child. Like she was... Yeah. She was a spoiled brat because, I mean, she, because her brothers and sisters in her life had the functioning role of aunts and uncles because they yeah. were pretty much, I think the it was like the youngest of that set was in high school by the time she started kindergarten. My older sister was 16 when I was born. Um, Rosella was 15 and then I had a, um, the others were, would have been 14 and 12 or something like that. The only, they had, my, my brother is 16 months older than me. The only reason that I exist is to ensure that my brother, who is 16 months older than me, does not think that he is the centre of the universe. <laughs> that is my function in life and why I am here. <laughs> I don't know if, uh, if Pukwainians would be able to guess this, but I am very much a middle child. I have middle child syndrome. So, and you have a younger brother and a twin sister, right? My sister is two minutes older than me, sort of. Oh. Yeah, I'm sort of like, everybody's like, oh, you're not really the middle child. And I'm like, no, I have all of the complexes, issues, neediness of the middle child. I am the middle child. Um, oh, I know I've, I know a family where the they weren't twins, but the older one had middle child syndrome just because the middle one overshadowed her. And they were like, yeah. they were around a year apart. 
but it was because they were just so close, and the other one overshadowed her that she had middle right. child syndrome. Right. Well, I mean, yeah, you don't have to be the middle child to have middle child syndrome. Yeah. Well, like you, if you knew my siblings, you would know why. If you study development, you study psychology, you know this: that in a relationship between twins, there is always a dominant and a submissive one. It's because it's just the way that it is, and then um, that will switch at puberty. So whoever was dominant before. Um, in like 95% of cases becomes submissive at puberty. Nobody knows why. It just happens that way. Um, so I was dominant for the first uh, 12 years of our life. And then um, after that, Amanda was the dominant one. And I think that probably was a little bit traumatic for me. But Amanda speaks like four or five languages. I say four or five. She speaks uh, Spanish, French, English, and uh, Arabic. And she's very like intelligent and well-spoken and very well-read. And my brother does my math homework for me. So he's very, I mean, he's very brilliant. Whereas I was always kind of like the creative hippie one. <laughs> like, very black sheep. Like, people in my family are smart. They're just not usually smart in the way that I'm smart. So it was very difficult for me to function. Are you an only child? Yes, not to sidetrack us, but just... Uh, yeah, I, 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 I am an only child. That's why I haven't okay. been saying much lately. <laughs> I would be like, I know these people that have this kind of family, but I'm like, I'm an, I'm an only child. I'm the worst kind of only child. I'm an only child born to parents who were 40 at the time of my birth, so I am really especially spoiled. <laughs> <laughs> nice. That must be nice, though. My parents were dirt poor and... <laughs> young and stupid when they had me at my the brother time. always opposite of everything i did or everything i i would say he was always the opposite like even his favorite color like i said red so he was green so he thought of that as the opposite because of christmas and yeah see you know, my brother and i would do that we'd have that double two kid family thing going on you know yeah. i liked one sport he liked to sports a particular football team so i would choose the you know the opposing sports exactly team. yeah you know what I mean? he liked blue so i liked pink you know <laughs> Let's not yeah. be too stereotypical here. <laughs> he likes cars. I like dolls. You know, we were just, and I don't know how much of that is because that's who we are and how much it's because we're playing off each other as being sort of two kids in a family, a boy and a girl. You know, we, we were, we're very stereotypical, him and I. He's a real boy and I'm a real girl. <laughs> so anyway, let's talk about Jenny, which is who we started this conversation yes. about. <laughs> um, this particular characterization of her, I, I really enjoy Melinda Leo's um, characterization of, of Jenny in general because I think she's very uh, strong and very centered, which I think um, Harry needs. And uh, did you all see that um, bit um, that Melissa and Ellie posted of her book, her interview with Joe um, no. for her no. book? No, Carl Melissa Nelly runs Leaky Collie. Uh, oh, Leaky, yeah, right, 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 right. Leaky Con. Leaky whatever. Whatever. Leaky. Leaky. She posted an interview, or part of the interview that she did with Joe Rowling, about the veil that is in the Room of Mysteries in um, Order of the Phoenix. But in it, she talks about Jenny and how uh, how Jenny and Harry are really meant for each other because Jenny's kind of a strong person. And I think, I think Melinda <laughs> really made that very clear, as opposed to some other fanfics where Jenny is not so much strong as she is kind of annoying. I've only ever read the good Jenny fix, usually because I'm being pointed at them by you people. <laughs> <laughs> this is because we hate the bad Jenny fix. <laughs> right. You know that one we read for Peoncast where she threw herself off a cliff? Oh, yeah. Bad Ginny fix. Bad okay. Ginny fix. Very bad. Very, very bad. You want to read good Ginny? Read Melinda Leo. Who else? I don't know who else writes good Ginny. I write good Ginny, apparently. People tell me that, so, you know. I'll... I write good Ginny, um, but she's pregnant. If you like pregnant Ginny, I'm all... She had I'm the like... baby, though. She's not still pregnant in the story no, that you are going to finish. 
All Ginny's ever done in my story is talk. So if you like Ginny that talks, read my story when I finish it. (laughs) (laughs) What about Professor Dumbledore? We could move on to him. He comes to visit Harry after Harry has been beaten up again by Melinda Leo slash Death Eaters. (laughs) Dumbledore comes to visit. Chapter 7. Professor Dumbledore enters the drawing room, sits next to Harry. Harry tenses and edges away. He doesn't want to hear what Professor Dumbledore's got going to say. And the headmaster asks him how he feels. And Harry lies and says he's fine. You know what I really hate is, like, evil Dumbledore. I have a really high... I've said this before. I have a famously high tolerance for crap. I I like Twilight. I like the meaning of one. I have a a famously high tolerance for crap. Evil Dumbledore is one of about five deal breakers for me. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I, I can't do it. He's Sorry. not evil. If you don't accept Dumbledore as the sort of de facto leader of the wizarding world, who therefore has to make really uncomfortable and unpleasant decisions for a bunch of people, then you are not understanding the character of Dumbledore at all. <laughs> I do think there's a difference between evil Dumbledore and manipulative Dumbledore. But most people don't make that distinction. When people are writing, they write evil, manipulative Dumbledore. They don't write manipulative Dumbledore without the evil. Because Dumbledore loves Harry. He cares for him a lot and doesn't want to see him hurt. And he has been manipulating things. But I think in some ways, by the end of his life, he regrets some of what he's had to do. And some that he thinks was still necessary, even though he does actually regret it. But he doesn't know what else he could have done and how else he could have done it. And he's very proud of Harry. So if you're going to write manipulative Dumbledore, you have to write in all those other feelings that he has as well. Making him evil and manipulative makes him a one-dimensional character, which he is not. He's got a lot of different sides. One thing I was going to say, though, is I notice a lot, which I don't think is true. I, I think maybe actually you see this a lot in fics that are written after book five, but before book six, where Harry doesn't trust Dumbledore or he doesn't confide in Dumbledore. I think most of those fics, and even Evil Dumbledore too, a lot of it's reaction to book five. And I think you see a severe drop in that once book six comes out, and you don't see much of it before. Uh, I don't. I still see people writing a lot of... uh, That's not existence. Picked up again after Deathly Hallows, because Dumbledore admitted it in Deathly Hallows. It seems to me to be not so much a disease of the fics that are like, say... After Half-Blood Prince, you basically write Deathly Hallows. I don't see it so much in those. I see it as in fix that go, like, um, no matter when they were written, that go, like, from Goblet or from Order. Because there are a lot of those. Yeah, uh, or retails. Oh, yeah, I have too. never read a complete redo where Dumbledore was portrayed positively. Nightmares, no, not- They Shook Hands, Meaning of One... It's not evil and they shook hands, though. Yeah, but he's not portrayed positively. I didn't say evil. I said yeah. portrayed okay. positively. I think it's actually a reaction to the fandom. And I, this, is a, this is my personal theory on why people misunderstand Dumbledore. And I'm submitting it to the Pufwa audience for discussion. I think people think react the way that they react to Dumbledore because we as people sort of grew up with these books. And one of the things that is really disheartening and discouraging and sort of disillusioning about Harry Potter is when you realize that Dumbledore is not perfect. Because for the first three to four books, up until the end of Goblet of Fire, when you realize that he's been duped, 
by Barter Crouch Jr. Dumbledore is infallible. When he shows up, you know that everything is going to be okay because Dumbledore can do no wrong. Because you're looking at Dumbledore from an 11-year-old's perspective. As Harry sort of shifts and moves on through his life and views Dumbledore from a more realistic perspective, it's like the moment when you realize that your dad or your mom is not perfect, you know? And that moment can kind of, it shifts your whole view of the world, which is what it did for Harry, which was really kind of, it kind of shook the whole fandom up because it shook our perspective of the Wizarding World, you know? And I think people were angry because there wasn't a perfect figure anymore. It, it was not... I thought it was more shallower than that. And I think, too, is that I, I question sometimes whether Dumbledore, and he's a brilliant guy, and he's a guy, I think he's a good guy. I like him a lot. But I don't think he was really a great war leader. He, he's more of like an individual person. He's like sort of a loner by nature, I think. And so I think people are disappointed when he doesn't sort of take as active a role as he maybe could have in the war. Yeah, I don't understand how he could have done any more than he did. Not more, but differently. <laughs> he mobilized the Order of the Phoenix. He did everything that he could have done in the war, short of like leading a standing army, which <laughs> if you follow the war that we're having right now, when you're fighting somebody who like lives in caves in really obscure parts of the world... Not that I'm saying that this is an allegory for what's going on in the world right now, but it's really stupid to have an entire standing army fight a guerrilla-style warfare. It doesn't work. You have to fight people that operate the way that Voldemort operates the way that they operate. You know what I'm saying? It's like sending a thousand marines to look for Osama bin Laden. It just doesn't make sense. Send five. You'd be a lot more likely to actually find the guy. And I've killed the podcast. I have no idea what you're talking about because I pay no attention to war because I hate and loathe it. <laughs> and we don't get as much of it over here, so I really have a very it's very tenuous understanding of the war in the Middle East and across wherever it is they're fighting places. That's why I'm just sort of sitting there going, huh. I don't think the, the anti-Dumbledore stuff is that deep. I think it's just people... Um, think it's cool to be going against the mainstream because in a lot of these things, Harry also becomes friends with Draco, he becomes a Slytherin, he becomes a ninja, or other things like that, because I think people all think it's cool to be different from what was in the books or something like that. Like, cool to rebel against. I think people who write Harry as a Slytherin are rebelling against the canon as well. But all, uh... I, I don't like I don't like Harry as a Slytherin. I really don't. I just <laughs> that's probably one of these things I have no uh, justification on. It's one of those things Keza doesn't like because she doesn't like it. <laughs> I think it could be done interesting if you like went back to the beginning and like started at the beginning and had him like not be Gryffindor. But I think I really hate the ones where he's like a Gryffindor, like where it yes. like, starts in the middle of canon, like a fic written after order that's supposed to be you know the sixth year fic. And he just suddenly becomes a Slytherinner. He is driven to switch that. houses. I've seen lots of those. Oh, oh, the other thing I hate, too, is when you have it where he's sorted, sorted to Slytherin, but he's exactly the same Harry. In other words, he's still, you know, the exact same relationship with Hermione and Ron, the exact same relationship with the Weasleys. Oh, same I want to see one of those. Send one to me now. I, I'll, I'll dig one up for you. I, I've read a lot of those, and they, and they annoy me because... Oh, I want to read them because the things that annoy me about Harry being in Slytherin is that he has to be, he's the, becomes evil. Well, there's a difference between becoming evil, going totally off topic here, and I think we should probably 
not get into they shook hands because we'll be doing that soon. But like, I don't consider him evil in that fic. He's just different because of his. Brain. I don't think he's evil yet, but we'll, we'll talk about it later. Harry's going to the Ministry of Magic. He's meeting up with Cornelius Fudge. Is he getting his apparition license? I mean, this is P.S. No, he's can't. in a meeting. He's in a meeting he with Cornelius Fudge. This thing and what was another one? I'm like, yeah, oh. You've read too much fix and you don't know which is which. Um, like, Remus oh, goes pissed. with him. Oh, oh, we could talk about Remus. Remus goes with him. They've gone to see Fudge after they've had a bit of a run-in with Snape. I don't want to talk about Snape. I know this, but <laughs> Fudge is being his typical dense thing. Dumbledore is unruffled. Percy's being a git. Fudge wants to know about the prophecy. Oh, look, I know the prophecy is important. It makes me snore. Fudge makes Harry come. Fudge is threatening to, like, divulge the prophecy and take over Harry because the Dursleys are dead at this point. Well, he's, he's about to have a birthday. Oh, yes, here it is. Harry is not yet 17, therefore the Ministry will take control of his guardianship. Exactly. Even when he does reach adulthood, the statute on the continued prosperity of the wizarding world clearly allows for the subject of a critical prophecy concerning the well-being of others to be detained until he fulfills the requirements. I intend to see this thing finished once and for all. I will be taking Harry into ministry custody. That is so chilling for me. Yeah, that is so creepy to think, like, this is the kind of world, because there are, there is magic and there is prophecies that they have to have these kind of laws. Like, yeah. that's so chilly. Well, it's also kind I of chilling it. like a like a Fahrenheit 451 dystopian. It, it just kind of strikes me as, like, maybe it's just because I read, like, all this, like, really horrible, dismal science fiction, because that's kind of, like, my downfall. Um, that I don't like, by the way, and yet I continue to read it. I don't understand. But, like... <laughs> has the story on in that direction. Um, it's like Othello. Like, why am I reading this? I hate this. Oh, yeah, I had to take a class on it. Why? Because I'm an English major. And English majors must think that the world sucks. Okay, anyway. But, yeah, I think if the story had gone that direction, it would have been really dark and really creepy. And I'm glad that it didn't go in that direction. I think it's quite powerful, though. Getting back to maybe we'll talk about the writing <laughs> of the actual fic. Oh, no. <laughs> it did. It was yeah. really... The way it was written... And just like you could sort of see this, this minute fudge sort of, you know, in his clipped tone saying, This is what we will do and why we'll do it. And you got this image of, in the next few paragraphs as well, of Harry just going, Because he starts to wonder, What are they going to do if I just get up and walk out? You know, and he actually starts to. And Percy's like, Where are you going? <laughs> you know, and then he sort of stands up for himself and says, You know, I'm not staying here. You have to put me in Azkaban to do it. I'll do it. He says he'll do it because that's what he wants to do and that's his choice because he wants to protect people because. You know, like he's not going to do it because he's been forced to. That's characterization of Harry down to a T. He's not going to want to be forced into it, but he will do it anyway. I think that he would actually be really annoyed and frustrated and upset with people trying to force him to do something, even if he then does it anyway. You know how some people, they get up upset because you're trying to force them to do something, so they then do the opposite just to annoy you, whereas Harry's yeah. not like that. Yeah, I think he is. I mean, I think Harry... Since order has become, has gotten this thing where he doesn't like, he doesn't want to be forced to do anything. I mean, like, if you forced him to, like, brush his teeth, he would let them all rot. I mean. (laughs) But when it comes to looking after people, he'll always make that choice. He doesn't need to be forced to do that. And it's almost an insult. And he feels it as an insult in this fit. Yeah. That they would force him to do that. Well, it makes a lot of sense because when has Harry ever said no? That's Uh, one of Harry's major (laughs) characters. He doesn't say no, but he doesn't say yes peacefully. Like, he sort of rants and rages as he 
says yes. Only in order to Phoenix. And I think it's unfair to ask somebody to be heroic without expecting them to acknowledge the sacrifice that they're going to have to make. Goblet of Fire, he's put in this Tri-Wizard tournament, and they all go, yeah, it's a good idea. Someone goes, he's magically contracted, he has to do it, and all the teachers go, yeah, this is a good idea, we're going to have to let this go. And Harry just goes, oh, all right. You know, he could have stood there and... He could have done really badly in that tournament. There's actually been a fic written about it where he, he pretends, he, he sort of goes along with it in the point that he'll start in the maze, but then he'll go, oh, well, I don't want to finish it. You know, I competed and I've now given up, you know. But Harry is not like that, and he did that tournament because, you know, it doesn't occur to him that he should not. Do you know what I mean? Like, if everyone, I think it's pretty growing up with the that, Yeah, but I was just about to say he that. Has to do as he's he told. was always told to do things and he was always expected to do things, it never occurred to him to have free will. Yeah, exactly. Do you think if he had been raised by James and Lily, he would have had a different perspective on it? Do you think he would have? Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah, he would have been more spoiled. Not in a bad way, like, not as... Well, as I say, the tournament thing happened, his parents would have charged down there and been his advocate. Harry's never had an advocate. Yeah. You act differently. Very true. Do you not consider Sirius an advocate for him for the brief time Sirius is around? Sirius was never able to advocate anything for Harry because he was on the run. I'm what talking about advocate is to come up, stand up for someone in public and and get for them what they need. Mrs. Weasley is the closest he ever came to having an advocate. And she, and she did was not, all they did. She did what she could. I mean, and how terrifying would that be to be in that position? If there was ever a legal need for one of my parents to speak for me, it would never be an issue. Whereas, like, Harry might get stuck with some lawyer that he's never heard of. Or Dumbledore. What happens in Order of the Phoenix? There was nobody yeah. there to advocate for Harry. He ended up with Mrs. Fig and Dumbledore. And while Dumbledore loves and cares for him, at that point he was being manipulative. He needed Harry because he needed Harry to defeat Voldemort. He wasn't advocating for Harry. Mrs. Fig was just a a witness. There was no one standing there, you know, gripping his shoulder. Mr. Weasley had to leave him at the door because he couldn't go in. That's one of the great tragedies of Harry's life is that I think after the war, after he spent a year camping or whatever, I think one of the things that he's going to have to deal with after Deathly Hallows is having a free will. and Because his whole life has been dictated by this outside force. You know? Well, you read my chapter. You really liked my chapter, the one where he does that. Jeez. <laughs> it's like I'm consistent with my opinions or something. <laughs> <laughs> For those of you who haven't read my fic, which <laughs> um, it, Harry has a talk with um, Arthur Weasley. Because he's sort of sitting there and he's going, huh, I could do this or I could do this or I could do this. What do I do? I don't know. (laughs) How do I decide? I don't even know how to decide this. You know, that's sort of what's going through his head. And he does little mini decisions all along the way. And they're new experiences for him that he gets to decide where he lives, that he gets to decide what job he's going to do. And I think you're right, that that would be a brand new experience for Harry. What what am I going to do? Where am I going to live? What am I going to eat even? That <laughs> might be yeah. even sometimes a decision. I've been reviewing Kez's stories, and it's not really reviewing so as much as writing many <laughs> novels about how much I love it. But anyway, back to uh, Curse of the Dam. It's written by Melinda Leah, who also loves my yeah. story. No. <laughs> right. Kez, you're so funny. Um, <laughs> I think that, that, I mean, Harry is going to need Ginny to help him realize what he has to do. After Deathly Hallows. Yes. I think, yeah. Look at her, she's all, like, shippy. <laughs> it's so wonderful. From book five yeah. on, it's yeah. Jenny's purpose to remind Harry that 
at some point in his life, he is going to get to be normal. And that's kind of what he works for the whole book. I think the relationship between Harry and Jenny in this story is probably one of my favorite portrayals of their relationship. Like, even, like, in Keza's fic. This is, like, the one criticism that I have of Keza's fic. You know, sometimes when people are writing Harry and Jenny, they have this tendency to... Because they don't want things to go wrong for Harry. Oh, you haven't read far enough. Sorry. (laughs) I'm going to qualify this. Okay. <laughs> if you want a really a good example of this, go read my story of what how not to do Harry and Jenny. It's called Tested and Fire. You will detest it with every fiber of your being if you have any taste at all. And Julie's gonna kill me because she loves Tested and Fire. It's really an atrocious story. <laughs> I'm sure most of you will agree. It doesn't ever feel real to me because it's two candy floss and candy cane in one minute, and then they will like make them really angsty and about to break up the next. Whereas I think real couples, there are moments where it's nice and there are moments when it's not nice, but it's never, I mean, there are extremes, yes, but I think most people spend most of their lives in the middle of the road. Like, not every guy is, like, perfect and romantic all the time. And if you think that, stop reading Twilight. And, like, but not not every every guy is a complete idiot all the time, just all of my ex-boyfriends. So, um, I think that Melinda Leo does a great job of portraying an accurate relationship between two teenagers, as far as that's concerned. Not making it too perfect and not making it too horrible. (laughs) (laughs) What? 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 Mike, you sound like a robot. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Never mind me. Oh, here is a bit that illustrates the last point we were talking about with Harry. They're they're in the I'm in chapter eight, I think it is. They're having a break. They're at a beach. Oh, I love this part. Uh, Harry, something's happened. I love. I also I loved it when it happened in the seventh Horcrux. So you're supposed to swim out of it. You didn't even look like you were trying. Ron said um, something has obviously happened, which I've skimmed over because the point I want to get to is. Well, that would be fine if I knew how to swim, Harry snapped. He was the one who had just nearly drowned, and he didn't see why Ron was shouting at him for it. What do you mean you don't know how to swim, George asked. We all watched you rescue Ron in the second task. I had the gillyweed so I could breathe, and there was no undertow in the lake, Harry said, feeling very nettled. You went into the lake without knowing how to swim, Fred asked incredulously. I had to. They had Ron. Then there's a bit more, but that's the point that we were making before, that Harry doesn't see the choice. He can't swim. He's like, they had Ron. Have to go. You know, I don't have a choice. It doesn't occur to him to turn around and tell people, I can't swim. <laughs> I can't yeah. do this because I can't swim, you know? This is completely a tangent, but it seems like fandom is obsessed with Harry not knowing how to swim. <laughs> Please say that again. Fandom is obsessed with Harry not knowing how to swim. Every fit <laughs> I read, Harry swims for the first doesn't time. Doesn't know how to swim. Sometimes he almost drowns because he can't swim, and other times... Like, he'll be completely freaked out by the water. Like, he'll be like, this is the first time I've been in the water because the Dursleys never let me bathe. And he'll be like, it's all around me. It's freaky. (laughs) I don't know what they have in England, but here in Australia, and it could just be Australia, I don't know, you have compulsory swimming classes as part of the school curriculum. Everybody gets a week of, like, five swimming lessons every year. And I don't know, maybe they don't have that in England, but I had this vision of Harry getting to swim because he would have had to have these 
swimming classes at school. I don't know. Maybe someone who's from England can tell us. Definitely not the done thing in America, so I don't know. We spend a lot of time near water, and yeah, it's part of the, you know, the education curriculum is paid for by the state education system. Five swimming lessons a year. I can swim. I, I will say that poor little abused Harry sometimes grates on my nerves. Like if I can feel sorry for him because he's like being all cute, then that's fine. But if he is acting like an idiot because he doesn't know what things are, or like if he's acting like an idiot because he's never swum or seen a television before, then... And I that's... hate when everyone has to give him the talk because no one's done that for him. And I think I already had this rant three times already on several different <laughs> podcast recordings. <laughs> I think Last he knows podcast, about yeah. We did it, Keza, we did it, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Yesterday. Yesterday. We, last Thursday, too. You also get that in school. <laughs> I don't know. But before the end of primary school, there's usually an indication at school. Of, um, yeah, we I did some, We did things in fourth grade. Not at all yeah. schools. I know not at all schools, but, you know. Harry, who's, Harry, who's clueless about the muggle world, bothers me a great deal because he can't be. He's been living in it. Yeah. So I am looking in this chapter, and Harry's just nearly collided with Aberforth as I'm skimming through. Didn't they get to Aberforth's on a boat? Boat? Do you have anything to say? <laughs> when I'm podcasting, regardless of whether or not I'm paying attention, I'm usually doing six other things. was grinning like an idiot when I realized there was a boat in this story. Uh, let's find a bit about the boat. So I, I miss Ginny learning how to drive the boat and then suddenly she can drive the boat. Did I miss, like, the chapter that was spent on Ginny's boat lessons? Actually, driving a boat is not that hard. No, I drive this a boat when Ginny. I was seven. She probably doesn't even know what a boat is. I mean, Jimmy. <laughs> I, w- I drive a boat when I was seven. I'm serious. In the Lake District in England, we hired a boat for the day. I drove it some of the time. I couldn't drive a boat, and I'm and I know what a car is. I mean, like she doesn't know what a car is. Yeah, but you're mine. She rode a car to the Google. They drive cars she all the time. To... They have ministry cars. But she's never driven yeah. one. I bet she used to drive a car. So why does she know how to drive a boat? I drove a boat when I was seven. I think sixteen-year-old Ginny knows how oh. to drive a boat. I'm telling you, it's not that hard. You hold onto the steering wheel and you turn it so it goes in straight line and doesn't hit yeah. stuff. It's a good thing Ryan's not here because I'm recalling his boat video on Facebook. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Dave, we're picking up speed. Um, I can't help but feel we're hugging the shore. Getting a little close. I'm going to get a rash. This is exactly how it started on Gilligan's Island. Um, <laughs> Captain's log supplemental. Dave has no control over the boat. He's in complete denial about the fact that we're in weeds. Mission outlook, doubtful. It's not so easy. <laughs> you think it's that easy, because It's not. <laughs> I always pictured it at, like, a car. Like, I guess it's not. There's probably, I mean, obviously, there's no, probably not, like... There's a not steering like a, wheel. Gotta be a on clutch, a boat. though. Not a rowing boat. A boat with a boater boat has a steering wheel, and it's not it's not as hard as a car because it doesn't have wheels that are resisting on the road. There's not as much friction because it's in the water. But isn't there like a clutch thing? thing? No, this is the kind where you have to pull the string to make it go. Please say that again. This is the kind where you have to pull the string to make it go. I thought it was like a boat boat. What do you mean a boat boat? We have to move on. We have to move on. We just have to accept that Jenny we, knows how to drive the boat. I want to know what Mike's definition of a boat boat is. Yeah, what's no, I, a boat boat? The love boat? Do you think Jenny's driving the love boat? I mean, what's a boat boat? <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I mean, like not like a rowboat with a motor sticking in the back, but like an actual boat. This is Aberforth's like pride and joy boat. This is like a boat that you hook up to your car and take to the lake. I mean, this like, is... Like, I, like, I don't mean like a cruise ship.
like like the sort of boats where you can't paddle it and it doesn't go on sail power. It's a boat with speed. It is not right, an oar boat. Like a, like a boat that needs a motor. It's not a rowboat. A... He's pulling out the throttle. Then the boats are going across the water. It's not a string boat, is it? Not what a rowboat, but it's a string boat. No, it's not a throttle. It's a it's a boat with a key and a throttle and a motor and an engine. It's not a not a string boat. What's the throttle? What throttle? A throttle. You said it's, it's, you said it's a, a boat a with throttle. a throttle. A, a throttle. throttle. Uh, uh, yeah, okay, Americanize it. I, I couldn't drive a boat if you dropped drop me down in the boat. Mike, I would, can you drive a car? Pro- I couldn't drive a car like on city streets, but if it was like escaping from evil bad guys, I could like careen around and illegally. Do so you things. don't have a driver's license? No, I have no driver's license. Oh, that makes Neither does Jenny. What does it matter? Like, I think if you have a background in driving a car, you can maybe figure out the boat easier than if you don't have a background in driving cars. Can you drive a power wheel? Could you get in like a little power wheel and drive it? It's a power wheel. <laughs> Never mind. Really, it's a car or boat we're talking See, about. I don't know what a power wheel is. You guys didn't have these when you were growing up? Little fake cars. Oh, like, oh, like the kids' cars? Yeah. Yeah. I always wanted one of those. I always wanted one of those. I wasn't allowed to have one, but my cousins had one. But so this is an actual like boat with like a cabin in it, is what I'm getting at, like where you can go it's, in. It's it's a speedboat. But speedboats to me make me think like when I see when you say speedboat, I think of a boat that's the same size as a rowboat. It just happens to have a motor in it. How many these are when, when I say speedboat, I think of the one where you have to pull the string to make the motor start. Right, which I don't think is accurate. I and think you like, steer it with a rudder. It makes me think of the boat that my aunt and uncle have. My aunt and uncle have a boat where you turn the key. There's like you can fit like eight people on it. You can turn the key. It goes right. like fifty miles an hour on the or fifty clicks an hour on the on the water. It goes fast. It doesn't have Best a cabin. Though. You sit on the outside of the boat. Right. I just Best think there are different kinds of boats. Like if it was just to pull a string on the motor. I guess anyone could do that. But even then, I'd probably crash it. Think of who's on the boat though. All the wheezies are in the boat. Bonnie, okay. the twins, Harry, Ginny, Ron, her father, Remus. Tonks, Charlie are all in the boat. It's a pretty big boat. You turn the key, it turns on, and you drive it. Bigger oh. boats would be harder to drive. I would think the little boats would be... P.S. PS was describing, it can't be it that. It so doesn't matter. It so doesn't matter. It really does not matter. It takes you like three seconds to figure it out. It's easy. Can we talk about something different? Because my head's going to explode. Charlie died. <laughs> No more Charlie in a towel. <laughs> I'm actually not that attached to Charlie. Like, from an Me objective either. standpoint. I don't understand why people care about Charlie. He had, like, one line. <laughs> I know, the whole series of books. He just, he's like, he just, like, stands still and looks pretty. That's all he does, just you know? pretty. Like, I don't even understand why people think Charlie is pretty. Because he's a dragon person. Like, for some reason, they think that that wouldn't leave you horribly scarred. They just think yeah. that would be horribly I, hot. I picture Charlie. I picture like a guy who's covered in like burns and it's covered and has like all these ugly scars and like one eye and like a pig. Well, like, Moody. Charlie makes me think of my uncles who are cowboys that have been like gored, thrown. Like his face is all leathery and stuff. I'm sure. I'm pretty yeah. sure Charlie is really gross. <laughs> <laughs> I never, he never married. He never married, and she said he wasn't gay. I mean, he must. He's only like twenty five. He's not like he's like never married. Like he's sixty years old. When she made a little family tree, he didn't have a wife. And then the interviewer is like, "Is Charlie gay?" And she said, "No." So I mean, he's straight and never got married. He must be pretty. Yucky. There, there are people out there who don't get married who are not yucky. Come on. <laughs> That's unfair. <laughs> the 
this dragon thing is moody. supposed to be lucrative about being sexy. <laughs> Maybe that could argue for it. I, I think Charlie is mysterious, and that's why people find him alluring and sexy, because he's mysterious, because we don't know anything about him apart from that he likes dragons. Because even before that, he was captain, right? What? Right, that was, what? He was the Can captain. You, you mean he's the captain? I'm, like, imagining Charlie, like, in the army. I was over here singing the... I have no idea what you're talking about. You know my favorite scene? That? is when they take Harry drinking <laughs> on his birthday. <laughs> I know! <laughs> I think Harry needs another drink. You still seem sober. I've had practice. I'm not a virgin anymore. Harry said plays with himself. The Weezy brothers all choked and spit out their drinks. <laughs> him in alarm, their eyes widening like saucers. Harry could see Ron's expression darkening, and he couldn't figure out why they were all looking at him that way. Confused, he scratched his head and tried to focus. Finally, it dawned on him what he had just said. He <laughs> coloured brilliantly, holding up his hands as if to ward them off. No, that's not what I meant. A fire whiskey virgin. You called me a fire whiskey virgin last time. I'm just meant, I'm, I, I mean, uh, snogging. All we do is snog. Ginny's got a snogging. <laughs> she, she does this thing to my ear. I, I'm, <laughs> Nothing serious. <laughs> And I love how Fred and George are just, like, laughing really, really hard. And Charlie can't decide whether to be angry or amused. Um, Ron can read Harry's panic. <laughs> and I like all the different ways in which they're, they're reacting. Like, they're not all reacting as generic Weasley brothers, you know, that they all have a mm-hmm. different reaction to Harry. I think that's really good. George, that's more information than I needed to know. Fred says, I don't want to hear any more. You may be Randy. We don't want details. She's as Randy as I am, Harry replied before slapping his hand over his mouth. <laughs> <laughs> Will you shut it, Harry? Ron said, shoving another drink in Harry's hand to keep him from talking. I'm thinking you give him another drink, he's going to talk more, surely. He's going to loosen his tongue. Harry, George says, Harry, all you have, anyone has to do is give you a drink and you'll spill everything. And then Harry's too afraid to open his mouth to speak. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and then I they're have... like, well, we've got to build up a tolerance it's for your own good. Yep. <laughs> we're up to it you know? <laughs> I will say that my best friend is exactly like that when she drinks you ask her a question and she will give you an entirely honest answer without thinking about it which is like what is my problem in my day to day life <laughs> so whatever <laughs> something that really impressed me like it occurred to me when P.S. was talking earlier is how different this story is from the Seventh Horcrux in the sense that you'll see a lot of times with the same authors, they'll write different plots, but within the different plots, the same stories, characters are all the same. They all have the same quirks and the exact same personalities and the exact same reactions to everything around them. Unless my memory of the Seventh Horcrux is fading. If you put a different author's name in front of this, I might not know it was the same author. And I mean that in a good way, in the sense that a lot of the characters seem to be approached in original manners, and a lot of the personalities seem to be original and different in this story compared to our other stories. I don't I mean, know. I think you disagree? there are similarities. I mean, I think there are a lot of elements that show up in both. If you have a handle on a character, it's going to be the same. I mean, it's been a while since I read Seventh Horcrux. I don't know what Chi and Keza think on that. It's been a while since I've read <laughs> read anything. <laughs> I don't agree with P.S. But the thing of it is, is like, I can't really make fun of Melinda Leo for this. 
because I was going back and doing commentary of my fix for this Mimi at my LJ. I'll let you in on the behind the scenes writing of the chapter and that kind of stuff. I was doing a commentary of um, my fic Frozen War, which is Doctor Who. Who's laughing because I was like pointing out all of the instances where I've used the exact phrasing for a character in a completely different fic. And I'm like, and this is the 34th time this Doctor has had a quote, long, loose stride. He also has a long, loose stride in the third chapter of this fic, and in... <laughs> you mean, you find yourself using some of the same phrases over and over again, but that's just like when you're talking, you use the same phrases over and over again. Can I, mean, I make most... fun of you because I don't do that? I, I think well, I have pretty distinct thing going on. Here's the thing, though, P.S. You haven't really been posting as long as I've been posting. I'm a big girl now. Wait until you have seven years' worth of material, and I guarantee you, you will use the same phrase for something at least once or twice. If I could write that well, I would be the craftsman. I um, do it within the same chapter, within the same paragraph sometimes, and I always get ready. <laughs> can't say that, you just said it! Well, well, we could talk more about that later when we do like a series. We're sorry, the number you have dialed is not in service at this time. Yeah, what was mm-hmm. that? It wasn't just me that heard that, huh? <laughs> she was like, we can talk about that later when we do a... <laughs> That's what I had too. No, I knew that would happen. Oh no, she's gone. I'm taking command of this vessel. The final thoughts that I have: Ginny is a well-written character. Harry has been abused beyond belief by Melinda Leo. M e l i n d a l e o, all one word. Um, Dumbledore is written not too evil and manipulative, and written appropriately that he cares for Harry. I don't believe that Mrs. Fig has a flu, and Aberforth has a really big boat. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's very late. <laughs> it fits like everyone. I think he might have magically expanded it, perhaps, because there was a lot of people on that boat. And one final thought about the chapters that we read tonight. Charlie dies. It's very sad. May he rest in peace. <laughs> Go back to school and stuff, and, and Snape is the. Uh, <laughs> we get to, of, see, I didn't want to talk about Snape. Is there a new teacher who's the defensive against the dark arts teacher? Um, a new one. Aberforth's girlfriend thing. The girlfriend thing. Uh, and her name is Cornelia. Evil? You know I how think? the dark, defense against the dark arts teacher is always evil. It's like evil, stupid, evil. good, evil, stupid. <laughs> good. They're all evil. Well, Feral is evil. Lockhart is. Stupid, stupid evil. Evil. Remus is I'm sorry, evil, stupid, good. Evil, evil, stupid, good. Evil. Dumbridge, Dumbridge, Dumbridge. <laughs> Umbridge is evil. But she's, she's, not, she's not with Voldemort is what I mean. I couldn't think of a better way to say bad. She's, still, not she's against Harry, Harry, though. Right, I mean. She's totally against Harry, and yeah. Snape is also not with Voldemort, but, you know. <laughs> uh, I don't know. See, Snape, evil, good. That's a question for another time. Yeah. <laughs> trying to avoid Snape. Yeah, and seventh year is also evil, but the other yeah. is not there. So it, it does. It alternates in a complete pattern. There's no breakage. I've thought that up all by my lonesome self. I really liked our conversation about squibs and the, the flu. You got me thinking there, Keza. I liked a lot Ron's <laughs> reactions to Draco Malfoy and what happened there in terms of the fact that it's not just, oh, oh, he's evil. Who cares? Let's go on with my life. Um and I wasn't laughing so much when I read it, but Keza cracked me up with her rereading and her voice of Harry drunk. So that was definitely <laughs> nice. that, that. I think you rereading that made that one of my favorite scenes. So <laughs> congratulations to you. Um, Bye, thank you. 
<laughs> <laughs> and yeah, no, it's 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 very good. I think so far, I think I like I like I like them both, but I think I like the sequel a little bit more to the power of emotions so far. But obviously, I'm not done. I thought it was a fantastic pick. It's one of the best canon continuing picks that I've read. So we'll see everybody next week for part two of Curse of the Damned. Bye. 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 Guess what? Pierce is a Harry Jenny shipper. <laughs> So hold on to the wonder that those books brought to our Keep each other safe. Keep faith. Good night. Welcome to your guest. Resistance is futile. Please, turn over your fate. Greetings, listeners. This is Jen Tu, and I have a very special episode of Peoncast for you tonight. I should start out by saying that this episode started as commentary on a one-shot called Mental by Lone Lily. The problem was I wasn't all that keen on my own pick, and our conversation turned into a conversation about everything but mental. Keza had to leave, and I was left with Mike and P.S., neither of which are all that keen on Ron and Hermione. And I had just been through the whole mom heart bypass surgery, so I wasn't all that into talking fluff. It became very apparent during our conversation that something was happening to P.S. Listen. I I didn't dislike it. I just have a hard time just kind of boring. I didn't think it was boring. I liked it. I mean, it didn't have any I mean, like major action. I'll give you that. I like the first half a lot more than the second. I mean, I like the I like the whole thing, but the first half it's just a little fl- it's just a little fluffy. And, and I think when I picked this, I was in a fluffy kind of mood. We had done a lot of dark I, stuff. I don't know. It I was mean, just fluffy. I liked it, but I, I it's it's hard for me to think of anything to say about it because it's like not something I think about. I mean, like I don't think about Ron Hermione. I mean, like it kind of because they kind of because they, they were like they fight all the time. Oh, they were like we like each other and we'll kiss, but then we can't be together. Yeah. Like I don't. Normally, I agree with you, but I actually didn't mind them. I kind of liked them in this. I mean, I'm not a Hermione fan, as all people know, but I didn't mind her in this. I like I like. See, that's funny because I like Hermione. I I identify with Hermione, which might be why I have such a time getting... And I don't mind Ron Hermione, like, for the sake of Ron Hermione, but it tends to irritate me when it's the focus. But I think that's true for a lot of ships that I don't necessarily love. I read very little Ron and Hermione, actually. And honestly, I'll be really honest, I couldn't believe I actually picked this one. (laughs) (laughs) I went back and I looked at it, I'm like, I actually picked this? I was wondering what I was thinking because it was too fluffy and it didn't really say anything. It just was a missing moment. I was just trying to be very positive. Yeah. And I mean, I don't have anything wrong with like I with missing moments or things that don't say anything or fluff. It's just that this. First of all, this one didn't really seem fluffy to me. It seemed kind of see. Honestly, I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to say nothing really resonates with me right now because the fandom in general. My whole life just seems like it's been turned upside down in the last few weeks. So fanfic in general just seems mm-hmm. very. Are you okay, Jen? No, I'm fine. Yeah, I, I know I'm what you fine. Mean. It just it's okay. it's just getting back into the groove of the forum and the podcasting and the editing and and all of those those things that you know reading the story today was just like I picked this. Yeah, it just it's been very yeah surreal almost. <laughs>
that, you know, you have some real life things that happen and, you know, you, they get, you get smacked by them a little bit and your focus gets turned away to what's, you know, a little bit more important than, you know, reading stories and living in a little bit of a fantasy world. It kind of puts things into perspective in a way that maybe I hadn't realized for a little while. You know, it's all good fun. Don't get me wrong. I looked at this today and I'm like, I picked this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Even I'll admit that last night when I was reading it, I was kind of in a bad mood. I was in a really, really bad mood. I almost, I, I didn't go and realize how much perfect this was. I almost, I remember at the beginning, I was kind of thinking in my head, well, the title makes me think it's going to be Ron Hermione, but the way Neville's acting makes me think it's uh, Neville Hermione. I think there was. Yeah. Well, he was. He there. was there, but he was being, I guess, I guess I never got the sense in the books that he was such close friends with Hermione. I, I actually, I always thought he had a crush yeah. on Hermione. In fact, in fact, in the first book, I shipped Neville Hermione. I thought they were going to be. Wow, really? I always thought it was going to be Neville and Jenny. Yeah. I thought that, I thought that too. Oh, I love Neville Jenny. That's so cute. I always thought it was going to be them. Even though I hate until Neville. Until literally Half-Blood Prince when I was smacked. Did you hear that? Did you hear what P.S. just said? If we go back... And you run your little thing back on the bottom of your QuickTime or your real player. You will have just heard P.S. say, I love Neville, Jenny. Oh. And then she says quietly, and then I hate Neville. Listen. Yes. Well, See, thank you. Thank you. I'm just so, I'm just so glad to have found somebody else because everybody else likes I'm the, acts like I'm the biggest idiot for think for not thinking that Harry Jenny had a chance until until he it's just pretty started. foreshadowed when I that think. happened I was like what I'm like why Jenny I mean Jenny well, I think I did sister. I why I read I, I read Ginny? that way until you know it happened I was very very shocked and then afterwards of course I read everything you know 27 times and then afterwards I was able to pick up on it a lot better but I think I just never I never considered the ship as a ship prior to reading Half-Blood Prince. And you also have to remember that I didn't even realize that fanfic existed at the time. <laughs> which is which is kind of, I didn't either actually. Which was kind that of which is kind of pathetic. I so I didn't I didn't, I didn't really even realize that there were, you know, whole whole worlds of people out there that were writing stories, you know, you know that thought that Harry and Jenny would get together. And that had already picked through the books and said, well, you know, they broke pots of chocolate egg. And, and she said, Voldemort possessed me too. And, you know, I think. The train scene was the giveaway to me. I, book I, one. Always, I always thought about that. I always considered what? that, you know, a little bit telling that train sequence. But, mm. you know, I just always thought that. She had a crush on yeah, a celebrity. But, here it is, folks. This is the crux of P.S.'s Harry Jenny problem. We're about to get to it. Let's see if you can figure it out the way I did. Because when I started listening to what she was saying, I was floored. I'm referring... I mean, I wouldn't even say... I wouldn't even say her crush on him contributed to what we know later as the ship. Like, I think she had a crush on him, and then she stopped having a crush on him, yeah. and then she fell back. She well, fell actually, I, I think Hermione has... It's, well, two things. I think Hermione actually is straight on this fic when she says that Ginny never stopped liking him. She just put it to the side, but it was always there. Is what I think Hermione says in this at some point in this story. When I see the train scene, I don't. I actually didn't even mean from. I, I thought of it as author foreshadowing rather than character foreshadowing, and not that 
what Ginny felt then is what she feels later, but more so as that sort of the hero on the train with the girl running after him kind of foreshadowing. No, I agree. I know exactly what you're talking about. I mean, I kind of, I kind of got that from the beginning, but you know, it wasn't until I went back and, and looked at it from a perspective of them as a couple and not as him as a member of the family. I just always saw him as a member of the So family, I always so saw, I the, saw the things that she did for him and interactions between them as purely brotherly, sisterly, until we got into Half-Blood Prince, mm-hmm. and it was obvious that he started noticing her. And here's something interesting. Here we go. Wait for it. Wait for it. Yeah, I mean, I desperately wanted them to have a good platonic <laughs> relationship. Like, I really, really wanted him to have a good friendship, brotherly relationship with Ginny because I love Ginny so much, and I think she's a great character. There it is! I love Ginny so much, and I think she's a great character. You're about to get more. And I even like her interaction with Harry on the before Half-Blood Prince on a platonic level, and I'm just so disappointed that that couldn't keep going on. I guess I'll say now, though, I, I, I always assume their relationship has to change between book seven and whenever they oh, finally Oh, I mean, it has to because you don't... You get little pieces of things and you get the first hints of a, of a teenage romance and then he goes off and saves the world and then nothing. So, obviously, something... Right. The dynamic has to... Yeah. Obviously, something drastic happens. I had really so, good to say. I mean... I'm just glad you're you're saying it because I I mean it seems like I talk to Harry Ginny people and they're like oh they have the perfect relationship they've always had the perfect relationship they could get married the day after Deathly Hallows and it would that be peachy keen and that is why I don't buy Harry Ginny as a ship and I think it's mostly not necessarily because of the ship it's because it seems to me that a lot of the shippers see it. I'm not in sure that I would agree that they could go off and get married right after Deathly Hallows. I think they got a lot of work to do. I think they care about each on other the, on their relationship. I think there's love there. I just I don't. Yeah, I mean yeah, they're I, dating. I they're they're teenagers dating. I mean I don't see why what makes Harry Ginny at the end of the books like any different from Take Your Pick from Ginny Dean Harry Joe. I mean, a hurry show was a train wreck. Yeah, I mean, I, like, mean, I just, I, you, you know, know what I mean? there's a lot of growth that has to happen. We don't see that happen. She chose not to write that. I mean, it's just because we know they get married that people, people assume that it happens because it must have. But people don't really, I mean, it seems to me in my experience that people don't want to show it because, and so therefore I assume they think it's already a developer. No, I think there are, there are people who do assume that, I think, definitely in the fandom. They're sort of like, uh, they're destined from each other well, from the age of, that, you know, That's part of fiction. That's part of fantasy. That's part of losing yourself in the book yeah. is that, you know, people want things that aren't reality-based to happen because that's what makes them feel better. That's why they read the book. Okay. And more power to them. That's I mean, do you, ma- do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. You know, you, you read to lose yourself from reality. You want to believe that romance happens like that. Yeah, I mean, hey, that, that's what... I'm a firm, you know, whatever makes you happy. And there it was. You just heard it. The explanation for all of P.S.'s Harry Jenny aversion. She just couldn't understand Harry and Jenny being in love. It wasn't logical for her. She is from the mindset that people have to develop their relationships. And I, as a Harry Jenny shipper, know very well that there are so many fics in the fandom where Harry and Jenny just fall into each other's arms and live happily ever after. P.S. isn't necessarily a Harry Jenny falling into their arms happily ever after girl. No one ever thought to explain it to her that Harry and Jenny probably went through all of the same relationship ups and downs as any other couple who falls in love. It's the fandom that did it. 
Like I know you guys, no one else on Peoncast reads the same sort of stuff I do. I mean, and that's fine. You know, it's whatever. Everyone has their own taste, and that's the beauty of. I'm the first one to tell you that after you get married, it's it's not all peaches and king. You gotta <laughs> work on it a little bit. I like to think. I, I hope people realize that, like intellectually, even when they. Oh, you know what I'm saying? Trust me. Yeah, I do. Yeah. I try to tell people that all the time. Mm-hmm. That's basically what I thought. Like I, that's what always has bothered me about the ship because um, it didn't really start to bother me until it happened in the in canon. And then just, like, interacting in the fandom. Like, it didn't even... Because it didn't really happen until I got to this segment of the fandom. It didn't really bother me. Like, when I was on general areas, like, when I was on FA, it didn't bother me, even though the Terry Jenny shippers were there, and I was interacting with them, and it didn't happen to me. It happened to me when I got into this section of the fandom. That I started being irritated by HG. And here we have it again. P.S. Reasons Why Harry Jenny Bothered Her. It didn't bother her at the beginning. It bothered her after she started reading a bunch of bad fics that were not realistic. And we all know that there are a lot of Harry Jenny fics out there that are not realistic. Let's keep going. Well, I I think we have an episode. I think we're going to wrap it. So, on behalf of Peoncast and Jasmine the Dog. It's dog approved. It's dog approved. Yes. Yes, it's dog approved, isn't it, Jess? We will sign off for tonight. Not sure what our next episode will be, but we will let you know. I think it's Snape Hermione, but don't quote me on Okie doke. I'm Jen 2. Mike. I'm P.S. And we will say goodbye. Or good night. Only, we're not really going to say goodbye. We're going to keep analyzing this. It wasn't but about a week after this recording that I got very startling news. Listen. So I get a message from from P.S. Now, all you need to know about P.S. is that she is obsessed with Horace Slughorn. I think that if you consider that fact, and you kind of just go out from there, you can pretty much capture the spirit of our P.S. So P.S. sends me a message the other night. Can you keep a secret? (laughs) I'm like, yeah. No, he can't. No, he can't. Let me answer that. No, he can't because he he told somebody. No, there's an exception here. I will only share a secret if it's an emergency, like a life or death emergency. So then I'm trying to guess what kind of secret P.S. would have. And I made—I actually made a short list. I, I'm kind of curious to know what you thought it might be. Okay, let's see. What did I think it was going to be? For one thing, I thought you were going to tell me that you were a man and you were talking through some type of voice synthesizer this entire time. I thought... That, <laughs> I, I, then I'm picturing it. And I was then I was going down the list. I'm like, okay, we've never seen you. So then I thought you were going to come out and like pull a friends and tell me like you had a third nipple or something. Like I wasn't sure. Like I was go- like I was trying. I'm like, what the hell could she have to tell me that would shock me after all of this? And I'm sitting there. I'm like, so I did you know <laughs> sex change operation. You know, extra nipple. I did. What else did I do? I did that. You were considering you know shaving off all of your hair, but you thought you looked like the woman from Star Trek 1. Like, I was going down the list. At one point, I thought that you were going to get a boob job because you ha- had some extra money. Like, I'm trying... I'm like, what the hell could she possibly... Like, I went the most outlandish... She was going to go on a space shuttle mission. And what she told me shocked me more than any of these. I was lowballing it. Yes. <laughs> has converted fully to the dark side. <laughs> on September 13th, at 11.21 p.m., and I did, I made a note of this, because I thought the date was important, because it was the first half of my life.
life ended and the second half began. <laughs> I couldn't all over my computer. And proud of it. P.S. is an H.G. shipper, and she's proud of it. Did you hear that? All of the things that Ryan was saying, you know, that she was a man, she had a third nipple. When he said he was lowballing it, this was the most overwhelming news I have heard in a year's time. I had to get a drink. Please say that again. What were you repeating? <laughs> this, this fic converted me fully and unequivocally. <laughs> yes, it's left oh. me alone on the non-Harry Ginny side now. It's only a matter of time. I'm going to convert you. Oh my god, hold on. <laughs> you were not only a Harry Ginny fan, you were like a Jehovah's Witness Harry <laughs> Ginny now. <laughs> oh my god, that gives me an idea. I should go door to door. She's sliding down. She's you know what? Now, P.S., what were you reading exactly at 11.21 p.m. that converted you so strongly to the dark side? I was reading Power of Emotion. What specifically? What specifically? Which part? Ooh, ooh, I know what part it was. I forget what chapter it's in. Oh my, this is so bad because I should have, I should have, I should have bronzed these passages. Oh god. She was reading Power of Emotion. Well, duh. It's a Melinda Leo fic. We all know that Melinda Leo's fics are very in character. They're very believable. The emotion is clear. The motivations of the characters are clear. Why wouldn't she become a Harry Jenny shipper after reading Power of Emotion? It's just all too simple. Can I tell Gen you? Gen uh, two does not believe me. Gen two does not believe <laughs> you. Hold on, we have to. We have to pull. Keza, tell Gen two we're going to pull Gen- her onto the line for a moment. <laughs> we're gonna tell her to get her mic hooked up. Now, do we have? Uh, do we have Gen two? Hello. Gen two, welcome Hi. to Potterfic Weekly. Oh, Ryan. Hello. How- Gen 2, please have a seat. We have some startling news for you. I it's am true! Sitting. It's true! She's in love. It's Listen true. to her. I've, this is like P. I've never heard P.S. like this. This is fascinating. Are you listening to that? Do you hear how excited she is to finally tell me that she's in love with Harry and Jenny? I think I just squeed myself right there. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Okay, wait, wait yes, a minute. you tell her what you told us. Yes. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Let me paraphrase what I just read on yes, my... Everyone else back down. This is PS and Gen 2. This is their moment. Everyone else back off. <laughs> I just need to tell you all what I just read on my Skype from Keza. Because I feel like I am, like, living in the twilight zone. So... Keza just pings me, you know, and, and I'm eating some ice cream. I'm having a nice, quiet evening. I'm reading me some Curse of the Damned. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm reading some, I'm reading me some Harry and Jenny snogging. Keza says, serious. Check my Skype message. She's converted. And so I type in, I shall never believe it. Keza's message says, P.S. is a HG shipper. I think I just peed my pants. <laughs> no, I just have to. Com- I just have to clarify. No, no, no. no let you- me keep. Wait. Hold on. Some of you may not know PS, or you know PS from the podcast. You may be driving in your car saying, "Why is this a big deal?" I'm. Tr- I'm trying to. This is like converting Julia to atheism. This is. This is. This is a huge. Like I can't. Can we? This is like converting. I don't even know. This is like making the. This is like oh, is the Pope Jewish. 
This is huge. This is No, this is this is like someone saying PS just turned water into wine. PS just flew with her own arms. So I'm I'm looking, she's like, she was reading Power of Emotion and now she's a rabid HG shipper out to convert. Get your mic hooked up. What? My husband's about to call you. She's give like, okay. He said, I don't believe it. I I can't believe it. So I'm sitting here, I'm incredulous. I'm like, what the f***? Okay, P.S. is shipping Harry and Jenny. And I was just so shocked about what Keza and Ryan and everyone was telling me that I just said the F word on the podcast. That's how speechless I was, folks. I mean, it's one thing to cuss on the podcast, but you just don't drop the F bomb. I mean, really, I'm a mom. I have a baby. I just don't walk around cussing. Seriously. And I'm like, are you podcasting? (laughs) Indeed, I'm podcasting. I'm like, whoa, baby. I'm still confused. I'm trying. My neurons are trying to fire together. I'm like, righteous, dude. (laughs) Hold on. P.S. Perhaps, because this is like, you know, this is like explaining to your parents that you want to, you know, even though they just put you through medical school, you want to become, you know, a face painter. No, Ryan, this is not like explaining to your parents that they've put you through medical school and you want to become a face painter. Because I did that. Well, maybe not medical school, but several years of pre-med. I went home at Christmas and told my mom I wanted to be an artist. She did not react like this. P.S. Why don't you start from the beginning and explain to Gen 2 what happened? Because, I mean, you all just don't understand because, you know, P.S. Peon casts with me, like, every week. So I'm sitting here and I'm, like, feeling very... <sighs> distressed because we've had a lot of HG like PS has like said to me I don't care if Harry and Jenny you know like fell off a cliff and like freaking died okay. you know did I ever say such a thing well, maybe <laughs> maybe, <laughs> maybe yes, not don't even try to lie these people remember things that you said in the heat of the moment <laughs> They catalog him. They bring it up like it's like it's like talking to your wife. Seriously, people, you don't get to listen to the Peoncast outtakes. There have been discussions that have been cut out of what you hear as a final product that have literally left me in Harry Jenny shipping tears. I remember. She is right. Keep listening. She is very upset about the dumb. I just know that in the today. final version, there's going to be like. There's going to be, like, a montage of all the times that I was ever recorded saying how much I hate that. It's going to be like, meet the press. We're going to put something up on the board that you said. Ah, uh, there it is, P.S. You bet your ass, sweet cheeks. I have cataloged and re-edited some of your best Harry, Jenny, hating moments. And I am just so proud to bring those to you tonight, just so that I can roast your ass over a hot fire and make you regret every nasty thing you ever said about my favorite couple. Everyone, please join me in showing P.S. the error of her ways. We like experimenting. You pick whatever you want. I'm going to stick it really to the <laughs> HG people and for you guys for making me read that crap all the time. Hey, don't don't include me with them. Did you pick P.S.? And oh, you wait, were telling you me the oh. other day, you pick what you like. If you like it, we'll do it. That's I know, I'm just dead. teasing. It's the only one I liked. At least it wasn't fluff and... <gasps> She's dissing my fluff. <laughs>
<laughs> I even like that. Because I think I like Harry Ginny in this fic because I like the Ginny in this fic. I think she's really independent and then she went off to be a freelance illegal curse breaker. Yeah. I liked that. I've pretty much decided that in all of the fics that I think are worth anything as far as Harry Ginny fics go, I'm not going to like it unless Jenny is a very strong-willed, independent person. That's funny. I think that too and I've only ever liked if, one. If she's... <laughs> point of this story. This story is about Andromeda and Taylor. Only that it's archived on <laughs> the Harry Jenny site. <laughs> yeah, why, where, why were you looking at Sink Into Your Eyes to find your fan fiction pics? Well, that's the only, that's where I get most of my one-shots from, and that's where my own fics are posted at. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know that's kind Favorite. of ironical. Harry's chest. <laughs> Quite frankly, <laughs> there is no, there is no acknowledgement of any hormones apart from that. Oh, and the fluttering, oh, sorry, the fluttering in his stomach when he first sees Cho. But, and when that steamy kiss, or however you want to <laughs> describe the, uh... You mean page 116? <laughs> yeah. You know which page it's on. that, not just because she's a redhead and it's like fated in the stars and all that sort yeah. of stuff. It, yeah. it gives I Ginny agree. more, um, whatever <laughs> character, yeah. character yeah. depth. Because I think yeah. that's the reason why I don't like the ship is because it seems like Ginny really has no character beyond being the love interest. Yeah, but this bit gives her I, some character, right? So that that's why I liked it when I don't normally like this ship. Make you feel better. You know what I think is kind of funny? It's like fluff more than any other sort of fic. It's kind of very, very centered on the ship. I mean, like, like I can admit that there are some Harry Ginny fics that I like, even though I really yeah. don't like that ship. But fluff and also probably like really intense angst. Those two are kind of like a party for the shippers. Yeah. And but do you think you can have fluff can without come. a ship? Fluff needs to be built around a relationship, but it doesn't have to be a romantic one. Like I think I've read friendship sort of fluff, where it's kind of just the trio yeah. being kind of funny and. Go like is that really fluff, though? Romanticism? I would think it's and, yeah. romantic, actually. Yeah. I mean, otherwise, I think it's just be plain old Why is what makes gen. a romance fluff rather than anything else? Like, what is it yeah. that makes something fluff? What makes it fluff instead of yeah. romance? Like, what, sure, that's what I'm asking stuff, you. Like what makes yeah. something... I think romance has gotten more of a plot. Like, romance is how Harry and Ginny, like, yeah. built their relationship and fell in love. But fluff is just, like, they're already together, and then here's a small moment in their relationship that's yeah. very sweet. I think so, too, because... Um, yeah, fluff you, is you've... something you read when you don't want to think about it. Yeah. Yeah, like I said, I mean, like, romance has got a plot. Like, why can't you have something without plot that's just fun that doesn't involve a relationship? Because usually then it becomes it comedy at that you point. Think you I can't think. have, like, friendship yeah. kind of, of thing going? Most people would then think it was slash. Really? <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Wow. Now I only know one of us here that would enjoy that. What if it would so. be as a girl and a boy were friends? Like it was a Harry Hermione moment. Well, then all the Harmony shippers would think that they were Turn it into there. Harmony fluff. Drama is like... Drama is when Ginny throws oh, drama. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's drama angst. is like... Drama is when intense stuff happens. Right. As soon as you got fluff that's not shippy, does it become comedy? Yeah, well, this is fluff it's because it's a romance. Just cracks me up every time. Yeah. It is comedy fluff. That is what it I says right there. The... In I don't get why letters. fluff has to be romance. I think it probably commonly is, but I'm sure you could write a fluff that isn't. I chose this fic because it's freaking fantastic. Honestly, I think I like everything about it. And I even like the Harry Ginny in it. That's saying something. That is saying something. So yeah, this <laughs> was the only fic that had Harry Ginny in it that I liked. I mean, not that I like didn't like the other fics. What I mean is like in all the other, in all the other Harry Ginny fics that I've read, the part of the fic that was the relationship part, I didn't like. You're a bad 
influence on me. P.S. picked Harry and Jenny. Well, they weren't oh, in all that my. much. There was other stuff in it. It's not like I know, but the whole. I mean, it is a Harry and Jenny fic. <laughs> for part four, where Jenny doesn't take yeah. the last piece of cake. <laughs> <laughs> Next week we are doing Maps to the Stars Homes by Lisby, and it is fantastic. I love it. I'm looking looking forward to it. It is the only Harry Ginny fic that I actually liked. And I was surprised that you picked a Harry Ginny fic, so I'm looking forward to reviewing it. Just on now, before we finish, I have to tell you what page said Harry's birthday, isn't it? Mm-hmm. That's before the wedding. Before the wedding, after the groom. Out of your page, 99. There's the silver lining I've been looking for. There you go. <laughs> you I hate Harry Jenny. Jesus Christ. Oh, I'm with you, Richard. I'm with you. Don't forget She whispered, and then gonna... she was kissing him as, as she had never kissed him before, and Harry was kissing her back, and it was blissful oblivion, better than fire whiskey. She was the only real thing in the world. I'm not listening. Jimmy, the feel of her, one hand at her back and one of her long, sweet, smelling hair. The door bang open and Richard and P.S. crash the party. That would have went on much further. I would have burned the party down. outside. Richard burned the burrow down. And yet, for your fluff romance, you chose a Harry Ginny where they nuzzle each other like a pair of unicorns. Hang on, stop. Probably the fundamental difference between... Maybe both of you and I is that when you get to the stories about the characters that we hear about all the time, like Harry and Ginny, I get bored with that. Like I am so sick of Harry and Ginny. If I never see another story about Harry, it will be too soon. <laughs> I'll wait while you have your third grade moment because I get this all the time, and I'm kind of I'm kind of sick of it. Like I guess it it must be me because I honestly don't get why people don't see it. I thought it was a really good fic, P.S. I I enjoyed it. I love it. It's wonderful. Once I worked out the order. It's definitely one of my all-time favorites. It's worth a bookmark. Yeah. Blah, 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 blah. Yay. Yay. I'm so glad you liked the fic that I picked. I did like it. (laughs) And I'm looking forward to liking Richards next week. Yay. (laughs) (laughs) Who was it that drew Big Damn Anvil? Was it Marta? Yeah, I think so. I can see it in my head already. All the times that P.S. said something bad about Harry and Jenny. <laughs> see, 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 that's why I have to convert people, because I have to make up for all this bad karma. That's She's like a time. Jehovah's Witness over here. <laughs> I don't like fire. Harry and Jenny. I'm sorry. I still don't. I'm just so stunned. Okay, P.S. Jen, too, how are you doing? Do you have any further questions? How, how are we doing with this? Okay, now I just need P.S. to tell me. Tell me how it happened. I need to, I need to, I just, I need to know how it happened. I was reading Power of Emotion. The whole way through, I knew I really liked the thick. Now, I really liked Seventh Horcrux, but I didn't like the ship. And I really liked Coven of Echoes, but I didn't like the ship. And as I was reading this, I really liked the thick. And I didn't like the ship. And then, as they just gradually got together and kissed and went to the ball... And then it was the part where they had a little fight, and then they made up. And I felt something click inside of me, and the second half of my life began. She liked the fic. She liked the writing. She was just always too hung up on the concept of the ship. P.S. (laughs) (laughs) She really does love them, doesn't she? (laughs) 
could you guess? Is the Pope Catholic, you may wonder? No. No, he's not. Not any longer. <laughs> oh, Pia. Look at her. She's giddy. I this is like a first know. love situation. I she's know. Like, <laughs> Listen to Keza and me. We are giddy with relief. Can you hear how happy we were at that moment? She thinks it's cute and they fart. Oh. This is wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> to the club. Oh. Thanks, Jen. P.S. We have a fit called after the end. We'd like you to read and comment on. And leave it to Ryan to bring up such a weird thing at such a happy moment about how couples farting, whatever. You just made my day. I'm so glad. I'm just picturing Jen's little e-baby in the corner saying, I need attention. And Jen's like, that's nice. That's nice. Go play with this toy. Oh, Oh, this past week has been wonderful. I've been looking at fan art. They've been on the background of my computer. I've been reading smut. Whoa, whoa. Whoa. Harry Kinney is your desktop on your computer now? Yeah. (laughs) Which one? It's the illustration of the their first kiss in the comic. Oh. oh it's the sunlit day. Have you found, have you found the one? only one I know? Is if you have more, where's more? I want more. Smut. P.S. was reading Smut. I cannot tell you how many times she has told me. I only read Slash Fix. And there she is. She's got the sunlit days on her computer. And she's reading Harry Jenny Smut. You cannot imagine how self-satisfied I was at that moment. We have something new to play someone with. Look at this. Someone they could really cooking, please. Please, 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 someone they could have really cooking. Yeah. Here, I got it. I got have it. it. And, and the one that she drew of the kiss in Deathly Hallows. Do you just want corked journal or do you want the art? The art. The picture with the one where she's clutching at him in her room from Deathly Hallows. I'm sorry. Hallows. I love the fact that she's Australian. The art. The art. Speaking of <laughs> It's a monumentous moment, and you're mocking my accent. And there you have it, our very momentous occasion. P.S. has now gone Harry Jenny. The world is now right with itself. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Peoncast as much as I've enjoyed putting it together. Good night, good night, good night. Good night.